You know what I was thinking about doing? I was thinking about doing the uh, in the GB7 inch, how he says, yo. I was thinking about just like editing that and making it into where I say yo at the beginning of the episodes. I like your yo's. Yeah. Oh. I like your yo's better. Yo. That's a good one. That's like a real natural one. Yo. Thank you for tuning in to the Where It Went podcast. Yo. I'm recording right now, by the way. So yo. Keep this. Yo. yo. All right. Listen. Your yo's are better than me and Greg's. We like Greg say this. I, I can't, we fucking say this every week. But this is a huge episode. This might be... I don't want to... I don't want to make it weird but this might be our biggest quote-unquote biggest episode ever of this podcast because this podcast episode is about what may be the highest selling hardcore record of all time i think there's some contention of maybe hate breed satisfaction is the death of desire is up there as far as sales go great also album great by record. The way. Yes. also a great, great record yeah but Gorilla Biscuits start today is an insanely uh, hold on, hold on. Masterpiece. Hold on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so <laughs> bring Gorilla, it. Gorilla Biscuits start today is a insanely um influential it's a masterful as i said like just one of the best hardcore records of all time we had the opportunity to talk to some of the members who played on that record and get their thoughts and their feelings about it and i'm i'm so stoked that we get to share this with with everyone what do you guys think yeah and the fact that I guess we'll say it now. It's going to be in the title. Like this is part one of two, and uh, we do not have the same people on for part two. Mm. So that's all I'll say. I'll give that little like tantalizing piece of information. And you know what else is true to form is you never know who's going to drop in to these episodes. And Jordan Cooper just happens to drop in as we're recording the intro to part one of GB Start Today. Jordan, what's going on, man? Hi, sorry I'm late. No. <laughs> I, I, it wouldn't be me if I was on, if I was on time. <laughs> Jordan, you actually missed the entire interview, oh, right. uh, but that's okay. So right now we're recording uh, the intro to the um, episode that we recorded last week for part one of Start Today. So we had Walter, Arthur, and Luke. Uh, talking about start today. Um, So I guess, can you share just some, I mean, I know there's some, some memories. I mean, that's a monumental release, not only just for hardcore and punk, but for revelation records. I mean, that's like one of the most, if not the most well-known releases. Yeah. It's our biggest release. Um, I'm, I'm in a way I'm glad, well, I'm not glad I missed it, but I I didn't have a lot to, to add to the backup session people because i i don't remember i don't think i was there for that but um i didn't i didn't i wasn't really 
there for much of the session. I just remember, uh, you know, I remember a few things like the vocals took a, a long time. I think they went through a few, you know, Sid did a set of vocals, Walter did a set of vocals, and then I, I stopped in for the the final setup and they were first time I'd ever seen a record recorded that meticulously, like, you know, line by line or, or two lines at a time and, and uh, sort of producing every, every line, like it was a, like it was an instrument or something. And how at, by this point, 2020, when we're recording this, how many times has start today been pressed? I have no idea. I mean, there's, you know, we, we did it on black vinyl for, for a long time and we just didn't, we don't keep track of like multiple pressings of the same color, but um, you know, it's been in print. I think it, it's been in print ever since it came out. So, you know, there's a few times we, we run out, like we're, we're probably going to run out in a month because right now the pressing plants are all slammed, but um, it's been, um, it's been great. That's, you know, I think I mentioned when we were talking about it, the, it's our top selling record. The only record that ever passed it on a year by year basis was um, Inside Out during the time when Rage was really big. But, um, you know, Start Today came back and has stayed at the top ever since. So I don't know if you guys heard this. This pressing is going to probably sell out. So when this comes <laughs> out, go to Rev HQ and yeah. grab it because no, don't, don't buy it now wait wait a few months <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you don't have it somehow but um yeah and like it's, and it, it's been pressed so many like different ways you know first press we don't get to talk about about record pressings on this podcast very much but first press has the embossed sleeve which looks and feels so great in real life and then one of the newer presses, I have the press on glow in the dark vinyl and on the inside of that, it's got the GB logo and it went back to the embossed for that. And yeah, that was fun, man. There's just been so many different, the, I know the red vinyl pressing was a big um, collector over the years and the, the purple, purple yeah, vinyl. Yeah. Purple vinyl. Purple. Oh, I love purple. Yeah. GB on purple. And Judge, Judge on Green on Green are two like of the original Grails, right? That's right. Yeah. So the, I mean, there's uh, a couple of things about that record that you know, I, I I too am not a big color collector, but um, so the things I remember about the record is that that's that's the first record where we we uh, pressed at two plants. We we did the we we wanted to we're doing so many black vinyl records that we thought well the the you know rainbows <clears throat> you know kind of a higher end plant at the time so we did the color vinyl there and then the black vinyl we did at a place called dixie in nashville and that was the least expensive or you know they, they were a decent plant but they they had they only did black vinyl 12 inch and so all the the bulk of the records were done there and the and the color vinyl was done at rainbow so we split the first press that way and then Rainbow pressed it uh, ever since uh, until they went out of business this year. So that um, that's so we're getting our first pressing from a, a new plant um, pretty soon. Walter mastered it. It was mastered with I don't remember if Walter and Don Fury did it, but it was mastered, uh, you know, at a really good cutting lab. And then um, at some point, maybe 
five to 10 years ago, Walter, we, we needed to um, recut one of the pieces of metal broke. And um, Walter took the analog masters into, I think, Sterling Sound in New York. And, and uh, he didn't really remaster it, but he transferred it and then gave us a new, you know, like uh, he, he, he matched the EQ that was done for the vinyl and sent us that so we could recut the um, the lacquers whenever we needed to. And I think since then we've recut one of the sides because one of the pieces of metal broke. Um, but anyway, so we've got, uh, you know, Walter's been involved in that and it's, it, and it's been the original mix ever since. We've never, we've never had to ask them to remix anything. It's been, it, it, the CD got remastered to make it louder once um and the vinyl has always been the the same you know cut from the same um mixtape and uh the same uh yeah, essentially the same master the first time it was cut was straight from the analog tape and then more recently we when we had to recut one of the sides we used a high resolution copy of that same tape and you know that's what i was going to ask if it was uh I'm, i think the louder master which we talked about in part two, uh, without too many spoilers, um, was in 2000, like around the reunion, there was, it came, in, it came in the digipack, right? With the big booklet and it had, uh, so yeah, cause I remember I had to get that cause I was, you know, it was before, uh, you know, I, I didn't have records then really. So it was like nice to have it loud because that was the one thing it was the CD like wasn't as loud when I was making like mixes for myself and stuff. So yeah, all the indie, all the indie labels we had, uh, I mean, my understanding was you, you couldn't get a mastering place to, to make a good, you know, compressed loud CD for you because that, I don't know, that was something that major labels reserved for themselves or something, but um, it, it may have just been lack of knowledge to know what to ask for. Um, but anyway, yeah, eventually, I don't remember who did that CD master, but maybe Jim, Jim and Roe, or maybe, uh, maybe Walter did that at Sterling. I don't remember. Sounds great. Yeah, was that 96 or 2006? When 2006. That CD? Uh, 2006. Okay. Yeah. I remember Digipack. seeing it at the reunion and being like, oh man, I got, you know, cause I figured it was remastered. It was a new packaging and I had to get it. And I was super happy with how much louder it was. Cause like you said, that never does not need to be remixed. It didn't, but, but it needed to be louder and that, that did it. And it sounded great. It was awesome to have. I don't think I've ever seen that digipack in real life. I didn't realize I've only seen the jewel case and then the, the different vinyl pressing. So I might have to hunt one of those down. I wish, I wish I still had, I sold all my stuff. You have the digipacks. I think there's a, yeah, there's a handful of them. If you want to grab mm. one next time you're up over. Cool. Perks. It had liner notes too, I think, in it, which was cool. Like it had like a note. It had a lot of photos, and then we did this, and I don't remember. Yeah, it, I think a friend of the band, uh, maybe Chris or Max. I don't remember. Somebody, maybe Chris or Max, who's, who's been a friend of Walter and the, the guys forever. Um, but somebody, somebody did a, a booklet for it. <laughs> Backups right now. We have a cameo. Yeah, some backup vocals. That's a, it was a cool CD, like as far as CDs went, but I ended up moving to vinyl. So in order to do that, I got rid of all my C So now I have the one Javier was talking about, except mine's on black vinyl, but that inside sleeve, I've never seen anything like that where the, the inner 
part of the record sleeve is the blue with the logo. It's super nice looking. Oh yeah, that I mean, yeah, that's a lot of labels did that over the years. We just we just picked that up as a nice little, you know. Did part. one of the newer bringing it down ones have the hammers on the inside too? Yeah, I might have that too. for that one. That, did also yeah i'm not up for celebrating too many anniversaries because it's like all of these labels and bands you know we're all the same yeah. age so it's like every every two weeks there's going to be an anniversary but i figured bringing it down and start today had to had to have something done agreed yeah yeah we were talking actually too about how you know a lot of these records from that era and you touched on it they had to be mixed a couple times like you know we talked about the youth of today mixes and about chain of strength mixes but start today and bringing it down once they finally came out we know that it took yeah. to, but the, the final product never needed to be remixed like that's pretty cool like the yeah. the, the version of bringing it down that you're or, or start today that you're listening to in 2020 is the same mix that was in 1989 yeah i'm not a you know i'm not a studio or a person or a musician but um I think the fact that Walter went to Don Fury, you know, there were, there were probably bands already going to Normandy Sound and bigger studios, but I think Walter knew the sound that he wanted and he knew how to get it. And there's probably people that could remix it now to make it sound a little more modern and bigger, you know, who knows what could be done, but um, I've never heard anyone ask for that. And, you know, it might so there's be something to be said about, we grew up with these songs and we didn't have now, like with, especially with say, um, can't, or, um, we're not in this alone. Like we have to hunt down these extra mixes. I have to hunt down the Caroline mix and the 97 remix and then whatever. But with GB, it's just like, these are the songs that I heard when I was 15 and they sound the same now. And it's consistent. It's like, um, Costco pizza, you know, you're, yeah. you're going to get the same thing every time. That's awesome. Yeah. Like um, you can play it for someone. Analogy, but <laughs> um, yeah, it, except you can I mean, you can always go to YouTube and watch the um, YouTube and listen to the uh, Walter sings the hits version. Yeah, or you can buy uh, track down the the bootleg CD like I have. You yeah, know? the Walter. Yeah, he talked about that in the interview too. The Walter sings the hits. Jordan, did you ever hear the listening to that? Because I, I I didn't see a lot of that. I wasn't there for a whole lot of that. Those sessions. I bet there's some you know good interesting stories i bet they had to um do some tricks to to make that record work i remember that that weird um they might have used reverse reverb like influenced by the bad brains on one on that um on start today yeah i think on that song yeah, yeah that's how we, we we touched well i think we touched on that i don't want to give too much away yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I don't know if there's much more i can add but if you have any no, questions, I just figured I'd pop in since two yeah. hours. Maybe they're still connected. I, I yeah, thought yeah. I'd no, we're always Toby. We're always glad to hear your perspective Sorry. and anything else that you have to, yeah. to to share with us. And you know, we get uh, messages from people all over the world who are like, "I'm so stoked to hear this story. I'm so stoked to hear stuff from." people like from not Civ, like, yeah, we all want to hear from Civ, but we also want to hear from not Civ about these songs. And so for you to give some of the back end, I kind of want to hear from Civ because we never, <laughs> all we hear from is uh, Arthur, <laughs> Walter and Luke lately. Um, I know. Yeah. The quiet guys, Alex and Civ were really not interviewed very much. 
Yeah. Uh, but anyway, hopefully, hopefully he'll come on for Rev 41 or something. Yeah, yeah we want to uh, put that into the universe. Yeah. Hopefully, Siv listens to this. I totally we respect your time. I understand you couldn't do it, but um, we'd love to talk. To, I'd even do another Start Today episode if he came. You know, just to get his perspective. Um, as we've talked at the beginning of the episode, this is part one of two. Um, but I have no problem eventually making a part three if, if Siv wants to talk. But Jason did have another question real quick for you. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask if you had ever heard the, um, the Chung King demos. Because I swear I had a tape that was traded to me from someone in Virginia Beach that was the demo sessions of Start Today at the Chung King Studios. Wow, no. I mean, I may have heard it, but, you know, memory and, and time, I don't have it. So I guess okay. that's, that's another thing we could ask Tim McMahon for if he had. If he yeah, had isn't that a weird thing, though, that people have? I, how do people even get access to this, to we, these tapes, though, we, you know? We, the tapes get passed around and, you know, some people save them. And, like, I I heard the, the original vocal stuff, but, like... When when a record's being done, you hear rough mixes all along, and you know somebody like me, I don't I don't really hear the differences. I just want the finished product. Like, okay, you're happy. This is what we're doing. This is the this is the final record. That's what I usually save, and the other stuff gets taped over, thrown in, in the box, and and get, gets yeah. lost. Yeah, this when, didn't this uh, didn't have vocals on it. It was just the music, and you could hear them uh, talking in between the songs. And when cool. we did the interview, they said, yeah, we recorded it. You know one in the morning two in the morning and we were just cracking jokes in between the songs and i and it clicked oh that must have been the um the chung king tape but so yeah, I maybe they were doing, maybe they did pre-production which is also like you know it's not not surprising that that uh walter thought to do that for that record yeah. considering but also makes it kind of a fun like that's the cool part about this record i think is there's a lot of layers to it and yeah. a lot of versions that are out there and so and the chung king when we talked to redacted for part two um they actually said they actually said that um they didn't even hear like that walter was very selective of who he would play like the demo versions for um and so i thought that was pretty so it's an extra that's extra killing me that i can't find this tape yeah like he kept it and now tapes are just yeah oh well somebody has it right do you know anyone who has it I'm, that's what I'm trying to figure. That's what I'm trying to figure. So, well, that was cool, Jordan. Pop yeah. It. So random, man. Yeah, and uh, sharing some nice little nuggets. Shinfo. Um, I Wait. wouldn't even call it shinfo. Wouldn't we say it's that's just info? Yeah. Info. That's solid just in- info. Information. Solid info. 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 So I think you know before we get into the interview for part one of Start Today. I think it's time to. So I want to give um, a bit of bow to uh, this episode's one of this episode's sponsors, Mission Two. Um, we've talked about them before. They have uh, great new albums out by the Cro-Mags, Insight, and Don't Sleep. Um, as of the publication of this episode, the Insight is up for our patrons. Um, and the Don't Sleep episode will be up uh, a few days after this one posts for patrons. I guess it's also a good time to bid at bow our, our patrons, everybody supporting us. And if you uh, are into the bonus content that we have, and there's a lot of cool stuff coming, um, hit up our website, whereitwentpodcast.com. Um, 
and check out how to be a patron. And there's a lot of bonus content for people that can't get enough of us. And these are real episodes. They're not throwaways. They're just not releases on revelation necessarily. Um, but they're like not throwaways either. They're still related to revelation. In the exactly. Story in some way it's of the ta- label. Uh, tangentially related to revelation, whether their members were in bands or if it's just hardcore bands or whatever. Um, but check that out as far as with uh, mission two, like I was talking about, um, if you go, we have an, a section on our website uh, called affiliates. So if you want to check out these records by don't sleep, Chromags insight, you want to check out the merch. Um, I'm actually wearing a Chromags hat right now. It's super nice embroidered hat. Uh, you can get all this stuff on their website. And if you go through our affiliate link, that way they'll know we sent you. And, you know, we can hopefully do some more work with them in the future. Yo, I just got to say those Chromags jogger sweats. Got them on right now. So comfortable. And no, you have the regular sweats. He has the joggers. And my wife got the Chromags leggings. And she's a legging snob. Like she wears this brand called Girlfriend that's made from like recycled water bottles. And it's like, she's like that with how we are with hardcore merch. She's like, oh my God the brown sold out and I got to get this set or whatever. And she tried on the Chromax leggings and she's like, these are sick. They rule. And so I just got to give a shout out nice. to mission two for keeping my wife and I are, uh, yeah. Body bottom halves warm. Jason, I was wrong. You do have the sweats. I was thinking of the leggings, but the Chromax sweats are awesome. The champion yeah, sweats. Yeah, they are. I'm wearing uh, them right now. Yeah, I kind of want to get the leggings for myself for <laughs> Nogi Jiu-Jitsu, you know? So also with Mission 2, I want to give a, a special bit of bows to uh, Mike House, who I've dealt with there, super cool guy, um, and Clint, who we've uh, talked about. Clint, organized my- crime. My dude, Clint Billington, uh, we've been speaking a lot lately, actually, about Course of Disapproval, because Clint also has a record label called Organized Crime Records that's put out awesome over the label. past 10 years, some of the most amazing integrity layouts yeah. and it's the attention to detail and the pressings and the colors and everything. It's seriously some top quality shit. But he yeah. just did a repress of A Course of Disapproval, Truth Gives Wings to Strength, which is one of my favorite hardcore records of all time. And it's like clear with like some blood splatter, like pool of blood on it. And it you got me into so chorus good. because oh. I was like, nah, I'm not really into it. I heard it like 20 years ago. Uh-huh. And then I listened. I'm like, okay, this is fucking cool. Yeah, um, I just can't hate enough. One of my favorite, and it's, it's related to Rev, so I'm going to give it. Uh, its own bit at bow on organized crime is that damnation ad oh, Cooper, yeah. uh, covers album where they do pornography it's so well put together it looks nice it sounds great i love mike mcturnan he's a dear friend of mine so bit at bow mike, bit bit at bow, bow, mike clint. DC. i want to i want to meet clint one day i want to hope to meet clint in real life and uh chat uh and it'll be nice but yeah bit at bow to uh mission Two organized crime family um great stuff dude so i feel I, like we could talk forever about just damnation ad we could do oh like yeah 
Uh, we man we got to cut ourselves off and get into this episode because i will not shut up about damnation ad if you get me talking we do get we do get to talk one album one album and that record is so good i cannot wait to talk about kingdom of lost souls we'll do we'll do bonus episodes i think real quick let me bid it bow mehe shammy i have a couple too so go ahead okay but let me bid it bow mehe shammy and her husband matt michael they do a band called no man they just came out with an lp called a race strike anywhere they came out with an lp called nightmares of the west i did the artwork for it um and renee hartfelt brother band family band oh my god don't yeah. even get me started <laughs> i love renee hartfelt we will uh i guess we can give a spoiler alert we're hoping yeah. to do a bonus episode when that reissue comes out um that album the death of a ghost is one of my all-time favorite albums um, it, it's one that I've had in steady rotation since 2005 when it came out. It's easily one of the most top 10 underrated oh, yeah. records of all time. It's, and heavily influenced by Walter. Yeah. And but like Sand and Rival Schools, but doing but like its own thing. Its own thing. And, um, and now Pete is a uh, well-known dentist. My so dentist. If, if you're in the uh, yeah. Richmond area... You got you to gotta look him up and get him to get your teeth in check because one thing I've learned. BDS, bit about. Yeah. One thing I've learned over the years is that dental care is very, very, <laughs> very important. So this is my, my PSA to every six months, get your teeth cleaned. Everybody. By Pete. Yeah. By yeah Pete, but it, that, so. that discography is going to be on 6131 and they're doing like. It's got the um, EP, it's got the LP, and it has an unreleased song from the LP session. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think it's, some live tracks, right? I think a radio show. I don't know the specifics, but I know it's coming out and I'm excited for Pete and uh, Colin and everyone else that played with them. Cause they oh yeah, the Colonel. The Colonel, my boy. Bit a boat of the Colonel. Yeah, bit a boat of the Colonel, my brother. Yeah. yeah. I mean, drum for Count Me Out, Renee Hartfelt. Cloak Dagger. Uh, American Nightmare for a minute. Mm-hmm. Time Flies. I mean, he drummed on half of my record collection from 2000, yeah. you know, now. But um, speaking of reissues, I would like to bid a bow. There's a new label which is actually co-owned by Rev alumni, uh, Matt Pincus from Judge, uh, and uh, Joe Nelson, who is in Killing Flame. He plays in the Wind, Winds of Promise. He was in Trigger Man, uh, original singer for Ignite. Uh, they have a, a label called Trust Records. So Trust Records um, is a, it's a label that they founded together um, where they're taking a lot of these releases that weren't on streaming sites and have been out of print for a long time, but they're, you know, classic essential uh, punk rock and hardcore releases. And they are um, putting them out there with in, in just with incredible attention to detail. So their first project, which was announced, they're already sold out of the first pressing was a record by a band called the circle jerks. Hmm, I've heard um, of them. Yeah, and uh, we—I mean, without a band like Circle Jerks, this podcast wouldn't exist. They were yeah. Trailblazers. So their legendary debut album, Group Sex, um, was reissued. But here's the thing: uh, so there's five early rehearsal uh, tracks on there, like um, demo versions or rehearsal versions. Um, so that's a cool bonus in and of itself. But what, what Trust is doing with these releases is they are taking it to the next level with 
this has a 20 page um, booklet with the album where there's lots of photos and there's liner notes from people like Ian MacKay um, and just, you know, people that were around at that time. So it makes it a must own, even if you already own, uh, you know, another version of this. And then for the pre-orders, um, which you can get uh, through circlejerks.net, uh, the pre-order comes with the zine. So this zine, the story about this zine is wild. So in 1980, before Circle Jerks went on their first U.S. tour, they printed up these fanzines that had photos, contact information, lyrics, um, and they sent them out to people. So ever the uh, archivist or archivist, how would you say it, archivist? Uh, I think Archiver. It, it, de- it depends where you're from. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. Uh, Ian Mackay, when, when Joe uh, and Matt had been talking about doing this release, Ian's like, hey, I have something that might be of interest to you. And he digs out this zine. So if you pre-order through circlejerks.net, you get this zine. I, I, I was lucky enough to see the zine myself. It's signed by Greg Hetson and Keith Morris. Um, and it literally has been seen by so few people um, until now it's so that alone makes it, I think worth the pre-order. I'm really excited. And in the spring of next year, their next release is a reissue of seven seconds. The crew Nice. Um, that's going to have a 24 page booklet with an oral history of seven seconds from their inception until uh, 1985 liner notes from Ian Jello Biafra, Keith Morris, Steve Caballero, Roger Murray, the Stern brothers, Porcel, Pat Longry. It's going to be freaking sick. I can't. Group sex is not on Spotify. And it this will is a be fucking though. classic record. Oh, yep. awesome. Good. It will be seven seconds. The crew they're working with BYO records to bring that stuff Good. to the forefront. So be on the lookout for this label. Um, there's a lot of great stuff coming. Bit it bow to Matt, bit it bow to Joe. And, uh, so definitely check that out. I have a couple more, but Hav, do you have any you want to get in? I just also want to bid up Bo Joe Nelson. Um, I was at, I was a huge Trigger Man fan when I first got into hardcore. I was at the first Ignite show and got to see him sing for that. Uh, I've hung out with him, you know, a few times over the years. And I don't think I've ever told this story. Did you know that I had a job interview at Revelation Records in 1996? And I was interviewed by... Joe Nelson. Oh, damn. And, and he asked you if you liked sick people by breakdown. Oh, I, and I said no, and I didn't get the job. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we'll call you. <laughs> yeah, don't call us, kid. Yes. Um, and actually, at one point, this was, God, I don't know how long ago. It had to have been a, well over a decade ago. Joe and I, uh, I used to drink beer. I'll, I'll say that. And Joe and I were having a I beer. I like beer. I used to I like, like beer. I used to like beer. <laughs> and Joe and I were sitting around at a bar having some beers and I pitched to him an idea to do an Orange County hardcore book. And kind of like where uh American hardcore, you know, it ends like at middle class and like 83 or whatever. And I was like, well, let's start it from there. Yeah. Because you so much choice, Orange County, yeah, all that stuff. instead. And so we talked about it and it sounded like a good idea and then we just never did it. So Joe Nelson, if you're listening to this, let's talk about, let's do a book. 
Why yeah. not? What else do we got to do? Or at least let's do a podcast. <laughs> let's have a boat. Well, I definitely want to talk to Joe too. About, yeah, we got to um, talk to the, Joe fans. Nelson. Um, and I, I, yeah, big fan. Anyway, go on with, with your uh, with your. Just a few short ones. Uh, yeah, let's hear it. These are just friends. So a uh, friend of the pod, Conrad, he has a new, uh, company called Clumsy. Um, and they, I saw the stuff that's coming. And Sick. there's some really cool stuff. It's it's dropping uh, Monday the 12th. So by the time you hear this, it'll already have been out. Um, at um, on check out Clumsy Goods on Instagram um, or on Twitter. Same thing, Clumsy Goods, like the Sam I Am record, Clumsy, um, and some really cool stuff for people. Great record. So bit at bow to Conrad, and then also, my last some oh, shinfo about Conrad. He DJ'd my wedding. Oh, shit. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And you man. just had your anniversary, right? Yeah, we yeah. just had, we actually got married on on October eighth, so it's one oh eight. So it's I'll never oh, forget. Nice. I'll never forget my wedding anniversary. It's like some you know some people stereotypically as men get old they forget. I, I'll never forget ten eight. <laughs> love that guy though. Yeah, uh, great, Conrad. great dude. And then finally, also uh, related to Revelation is. I wanted to, even though it's been out for a little bit, I wanted to bid it bow. I'm holding the record here for you guys to see. Um, the band Bitter Branches. Um, okay. So Bitter Branches is a new band uh, based out of Philadelphia area, which features Tim Singer on vocals. Um, Tim was in Rev Alumni, Kiss It Goodbye. He was in Dead Guy. He was in No Escape. Awesome he singer. Boiling Point fanzine. Yeah. I mean, Boiling Point fanzine uh, has tons of relation to Rev. He also designed early Gorilla Biscuit stuff. Yeah. Um, he he designed, I believe, an early shirt. And um, yes, he designed their earliest shirts. This is tell me that shirt himself and the round Gorilla Biscuits logo. So he's got this new band, which features one of my best friends, Jeff Tirabasi, on drums. Um, Jeff played with me in, or I should say, I played with Jeff uh, in Easy Creatures. Jeff nice. was in Walleye, uh, who were on Jade Tree Records, cool band. But this is a really cool record. It's on Atomic Action. Rev HQ has a limited pressing on yellow vinyl if you go to their site. Bitter Branches Bandcamp has it up if you want to hear it. It's like a DC sound musically with Jesus Lizard like vocals, a very unique sound. Oh, nice. A band it's not like the typical tim singer band and i mean that in like a compliment because i love his you know usual fare but definitely check out this record and order it from rev it's on yellow vinyl if you get it through rev hq and there's only a hundred and uh i can't wait for them to play some shows uh and see them bit about all the bands that can't tour that put out releases i agree it's unfortunate so we talked about it in the episode but if you like a band they just came out with a record go to their Go to their website, pick up something. And if you're sure. not a person, if you're a person that streams, buy some, buy some uh, merch. Yeah, get, I think it's a good shirts, idea too. Get some, you know, get some stuff. Um, but yeah, so Bitter Branches, Bitter Bow, uh, Jeff. And of course, I know the other guys in the band, a couple of them, uh, BK, great dude, great bass player. The bass player, BK, and Kev Som plays guitar. So uh, let's get on to the interview. Let's do it. <laughs> Part one. Start today. Bit of bell. These are the things things. And the end of the day. My life, you want to be shut down every minute. What do you get with you today? 
dive into start today revelation 12 rev 012 so i've heard the the demo version of this and we're kind of under the impression that maybe the demo version is actually a first recording of the album because there's like a little bit of talk out there that the whole album was recorded twice so was that demo version intended to be demos of the album or was it the first recording of the album? Um, I guess the, what, how I remember it was, uh, I don't remember there being like a demo per se of the album, but we did, when we first got to do the record, we recorded at um, Chungking where uh, Youth Today had recorded. And, um, but we were only there for like a week and I don't know how many days it took. Maybe you guys remember, but basically, we were, I think we were there less than a week. Like, yeah, maybe less than a week. I just was I, it. Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't very. It was. I think because we were spending so much money there, I was maybe more freaked about the fact that it was sounding bad to me. At, at least, uh, I don't know how you guys remember it, but it, I don't know if those recordings anyone has them. You know, I've never heard them. Yeah. Chongqing, my, my recollection of Chongqing is trying to be annoying to that engineer. Those are my great, those are my salient memories of Chongqing. You and I, Walter, singing songs to annoy the engineer. Yeah, Tall and Skinny. That, tall, that's where, that was the genesis of Tall and Skinny. Um, <laughs> we, were, uh, we were also like, all those recording sessions were like started at like two or three in the morning. Yeah. yeah, Luke, remember you and I sleeping at my ex's um, dorm on Weinstein, at Weinstein Hall on University? Yeah. Do you remember that? They were not, yeah, totally. They were not good. The coolest part about those sessions, I think, was uh, when we were in the waiting room and I was hanging out with uh, Ecstasy from Houdini. Oh. <laughs> oh. Totally. <laughs> Why don't, did so I don't many think, people go to I don't think, I don't think I don't think we had the same oh. room booked, though. Chunking <laughs> is where... Uh, uh, Beastie Boys had recorded, Public Enemy had recorded, uh, LL Cool J had recorded. Yeah, yeah. Um, every like major hip hop artist and Slayer. Danzig. Danzig recorded there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. So, I, I, I should have said why did all hard, these hardcore bands went and then were unhappy. Like it seems like everybody that went came out and was like, I'm not happy with this. Like we know about the youth of today, we're not in this alone. Like, I think you guys, at least from what I've read, like weren't super happy when it came out. Yeah. Um, Judge, we all know that, you know, that's a whole other podcast. And then, yeah. you know, you guys, Gorilla Biscuits going in. I love the Judge recording from Junkin. Yeah. But that's, that's another one. Hot take. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> I guess for, for, uh, for the reason that we wanted to go there was because it's a really cool idea of um, – like, yeah, we're recording where the Beastie Boys recorded, mm -hmm. you know, and, and uh, or like all, you know, we were all really into hip hop at that time as well. So it just was like to think that we could go there. But the thing is, is that we couldn't really go there. We didn't really have the money for it. So they created some sort of like, you know, uh, ghetto assistance program that you go in at like 
one o'clock in the morning, record to like six or whatever. It was some like it was basically the the graveyard shift, and so you what who get who can stay up at that time of night, like young freaks like us, and yeah. and cokeheads. So we just had like, <laughs> coked out freak. I don't even know who he was. Maybe he was a very nice guy, but um, and it was the same thing with you today. So you're basically having an engineer that if he's if he's not on speed, he certainly as fuck doesn't want to be there with uh with you know i think now as time has passed like you could be like yeah working with gorilla biscuits and maybe to some people that would be cool but to an engineer at that time it's like i'm sitting here with these fucking 18 year old assholes who can't play <laughs> and they're playing the worst music jesus christ get me the hell out of here <laughs> and and that's the atmosphere that you're in and we're just on our stupidity are thinking like we're gonna meet LL Cool J and he's gonna be our friend. I don't know what the fuck we were thinking. It was yeah, it was lots of like they would they would throw in they would throw in uh like just any intern that was working there too. Because I remember at one point we're like doing stuff there and the engineer just leaves and he's gone for a while and then all of a sudden the you remember the singer for LAB all of a sudden was sitting there behind the board who was like interning there who I hadn't seen in like a million years. And you guys were just teasing. <laughs> well, so Luke is, was in a band called LAB loud and boisterous, which is a dope punk name. And so I'm sort of vaguely, vaguely remembering this. All of a sudden he was just, he just showed up there and he was sitting behind the board for like two hours and then was gone. So it was like, yeah, like he said, it was like, kind of like, you know, take a break. This guy's going to fill in. They, yeah. don't, they don't give a single shit about it. They're just like, we're thinking we can make a thousand bucks. I mean, I don't know if it was a thousand bucks. Maybe it was like, you know, six, whatever it was, it was like a considerable amount of money for us. Cause I think the budget on start today was I think five grand, maybe seven. Uh, Cause I remember it felt like we were a little bit big time. Um, but we, uh, but it could, I don't think it was a thousand but it was probably something significant to us. And I don't want to say that they were all cokeheads, you know what I mean? But they, they weren't sending in the A team at that time. They sent in the C team. <laughs> they skip right over B. They're like, we're not even going to the B team. We're going to the third string. Yeah, so after a few days of that, or maybe, you know, you're, you're getting a cassette to go home with, to listen. And, you know, you go in with a lot of optimism uh, the first day. And then you get a cassette and it sounds like shit and you're like, okay, well, you know, it's just drums and bass or whatever. So, you know, keep a cool head. Uh, I'm fucking exhausted. You're sleeping all day. You go back again. The next day the tape comes back. It still sounds like shit. And then you're realizing like your budget's going down. And then at what point do you then say, we're just wasting money and we're going to end up with a, a shitty record. I had already had like, you know, from what we were saying before, a bad experience with, youth of today i just thought that in the case of youth of today i thought you know um i mean it's slightly <laughs> off of topic but uh the, the engineer that we had with youth today like erased the snare drum on the whole recording <laughs> really yeah and sam was like 14 years old or 13 or something like that so, so the, the engineer goes to sam like one day i wasn't there uh, yeah, um, well, you know, uh, I just wanted to like kind of sort something out right here. So would you just like uh, go in that room with the snare drum and just kind of hit it on every song? 
So Sam's just sitting there with a snare drum going pap, 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 across the entire album. And so that's the snare drum track. So it, on the album, um, We're Not In This Alone, you can hear the bleed of the live drums through the, you know, through the, 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 the other tracks coming through over this like snare, this uh, additional snare. It's the craziest shit in the whole world. And like, um, wait, did he tell you that he, that he erased the tracks? He tried to like play it off? Um, the guy, the engineer, yeah, the engineer didn't go like, holy shit, I fucked up. I'm an idiot. I was high. He, he kind of just, he was dealing with like a 14 year old kid. So like, what do you do? You take candy from a baby. You just kind of like manipulate him into thinking this is how recording is. Like amazing. You just, you, just, you know, and, and it was ridiculous. I thought my takeaway from that experience was that, you know, at that point we should have called bullshit on the whole recording and said, you know, we want to start again or um or we're gonna have to go someplace else or, or whatever but um ray just didn't give a shit and ray was calling the shots ray was just like let me sing on this record it'll be great don't worry about it and he pretty much he was right you know i was just gonna say he he was right like uh but i bet you would sound cool at half speed the drums yeah um it's uh so anyway so I just thought we could do it better, but yeah. after three or four days, uh, I wasn't I was personally not confident. I don't I don't remember how you guys felt about it, but I I thought we were wasting our money. Let's go to Don's where we know we'll come out with something good. Yeah, it just it was where, where also just that? such a different environment for us. Like it's just like we weren't it like like Walter said it was like very pro kind of there. We weren't and like we were kind of out of you know something nice about like Don Fury's where you just kind of you feel comfortable you kind of feel at home so just doing stuff you know I think it's a lot it's kind of a big thing with recording at least like in the earth like when you first start out doing it is just being comfortable where you are and sometimes you go into these recording studios and everything's kind of like you know you just feel a little like uh you know you just feel a little like awkward a little bit and so like being able to like be comfortable and you know you just get better you know you just start playing better and it just kind of all sort of like snowballs so like you know it, it was just it wasn't like a really like oh cool we're hanging out here it wasn't like you know now it like going into like a big fun fancy recording studio or something probably would be a lot more enjoyable you could probably do a lot better there but uh i know like personally it just felt like kind of fucking stressed yeah like when you're young in there when you're young i think you you know you're and you don't know about the studio like all of us have recorded stuff too um and you know you like the familiar familiarity of it yeah well i remember walter you suggested to me you said to me i think we're going to go back to don's i was personally really happy with it because i uh i mean what you were saying before you know we were basically i felt as if we were dismissed <laughs> by that, by the chunking people and kind of treated, you know, like, like we were a chore for them. And I just didn't see that as really being conducive to, uh, to a good atmosphere. And so I was, I, I remember, I just remember you telling me and I just was in agreement with you. I was like, yeah, let's go to Don's. Absolutely. Why wouldn't we, you know? Um, so that's, that's, but it's really funny because I'm trying here as you guys are speaking to recall any tracking 
I have no memories of actual tracking at Chongqing. I just have memories of being in the studio between the tracking, cracking jokes, being so tired and being so cold outside and it being and just being exhausted because of the time it was. But I have no recollection of actually tracking. Right. We were we were so tired, I think. And um, yeah. and just because that's just not a time of night that was conducive to us to really be working. It was it's not like we were fucking uh, Velvet Revolver. Like we're not recording at like, you know, dude, two o'clock in the morning. I was, yeah, and, dude, I was getting done with those and going from there to school. Like I was just going to like ask. there for school in the morning. Yeah. Like you, you, were you still in high school then? Obviously. Yeah. 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 Like that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I was probably late. <laughs> <laughs> Luke went to one of those like um, hippie schools where you don't have homework anyway. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was all good. They, they, they don't give grades at Luke's school. <laughs> I made, I made up my own grade. So, I got an awesome grade. <laughs> was was there, I, I feel like either this is a dream I had or I read it somewhere. Was there ever talk to have Ian MacKay produce the record? Or is that there, something that was like made was, up? It's on the seven inch because um, uh, I don't know how, someone in DC told me that, he, that Ian was at uh, whatever the record store was down there. Uh, Mash? Doesn't, that's not the one. I think it's like something with a couple of syllables to it. Like uh, yesterday and today. Yesterday and today. Yeah. yeah. So, um, wow, good. Um, a couple more than I thought, but yeah. That that, felt that's no monosyllabics record store. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of like, how do I know that? I'm not from DC and yet I don't know like basic functions of life, but I know that. <laughs> the important no, I, things. <laughs> you retain the important things. Um, so uh, Ian um, w would work there or hang out there or something. And uh, so the revelation stuff was coming in and I think it was maybe Dave DC uh, said that he was oh there God. when the, the rev, uh, when our seven inch came in and uh, Ian played it and liked it and, and uh, said something along the lines that, you know, I, I never really felt that Ian was really much of a fan of our kind of whole kind of straight edge resurgence kind of thing but he somehow gave us a nod and, and thought we were good. And so um, I was really psyched on that. And then I, uh, and I don't know, maybe someone told Jordan or Ray or something. And, uh, and then Alex, I remember Alex and, and Jordan kind of getting me, talking me into calling up Ian to ask him to produce the seven inch. And, um, wow. and, and so that was, Basically, calling Ian McKay at that time was like, I, I don't know really how to, where to put that. It's, it's like, like us talking to you guys. Yeah. It was like, or like calling, calling Bernie Sanders or something. And asking yeah. to help you with something. I used to email him. I want to run for, I want I to get run emails from him all the time. <laughs> but he was, he was super, he, he didn't want to do it, but he was super cool and, uh, and was really complimentary and, and and had a really he, he immediately broke down that kind of uh you know feeling of like you know he he was a normal person and so that's great uh, i never but, do that but i was um still thoroughly dejected nonetheless and uh didn't 
feel like calling them up again for for uh, start today. Or if I did, I don't remember it. I've I've. Oh, so when you say the seven inch, do you mean the together comp first? He got that in and yep. liked your song. Could have been. I mean, I, I think it was maybe the. Oh, okay. No, no. Now that you're saying it, yes, you're right. Yeah, it was for start today. You're correct. Okay, it was cool. for start today. Because um, he liked the seven inch, and then I, then they, uh, Alex and and Jordan were like, call him. He's like, dude, he's not going to produce it. He's Ian McKay. He's got better things to fucking do. <laughs> and uh, which was true, but he was he said it. He didn't say it like that, and he was very very cool and and uh, and, uh, and and nice about it. But it was still a no. So what I read was that he heard. I guess he was on tour in Europe, maybe after after you guys were, was the album out by the time you're in Europe, right? Uh, yeah. So he, uh, somebody, I read somewhere that he heard the album for the first time when I'm assuming Fugazi was on tour and he actually heard it and said something to the effect of, I kind of wish I would have given this a little more consideration to, to produce. That's yeah. Cool. So that yeah, was we what were, I uh, read. When we did that tour in Europe, they were on tour at the same time. Cause at one point, I remember at one point we, uh, we were going to somewhere in Holland. We were going to some show and they were playing in Amsterdam, like at some television studio, some weird thing. And so we like kind of stopped along the way, got to see them play for like, I don't know, probably 15, 20 minutes and then just kept going to wherever we were playing. That's yeah, great. Awesome. Yeah. That was, uh, gosh, was that even, that was like their first EP kind of like was really early in their, in their thing. We saw them on, yeah, on a, on yeah. a show in Holland. It was yeah, so, they were so They good. were my first, that was my first show was Fugazi. So I, I was a huge, wow. yeah, I have a huge a soft one. spot for them, uh, yeah. of course. But um, Walter, you were with me at their first show at the Loeb Center, right? Didn't you and I go to that? Yeah. The first yeah. New York show at the Loeb Center? Amazing. Amazing. You show. were there. It was you and me yeah. that went, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember there were like 20 people. Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember more that you had to bring, I mean, it was a very small space. You had to, to get in, you had to bring a can of soup. Uh, Sounds about right. What the hell? (laughs) That's nuts. (laughs) You know, I I walk by there. I walk by there now, and now there's a there's a bronze plaque because the Loeb Center is not there anymore, and it actually it's a bronze plaque commemorating the Loeb Center from 1950 something to whenever it closed. Yeah, there was a big room, and there was a small the small little room where Fugazi played, which is basically yeah, yeah. I remember that very clearly. I that saw cool. uh, I saw Gigi Allen in that classroom too. You did, right? In the Loeb Center, and uh, Gigi Allen was like on. Uh, we got into the room. It's all like kind of fluorescent lighting, and uh, Gigi was like <laughs> onto the side with his like freak manservant, and um, <laughs> and uh, and we all kind of get into the chairs there. You know, like they set up the chairs, and uh, it was me, Purcell, and Tom Capone. And uh, so we're waiting, you know, everyone, the room is full. Gigi just like um, takes his clothes off on the side of the stage. He walks up on the stage naked, has a banana, opens the banana, shoves it up his ass and like pushes it in and then just starts grabbing pieces of banana out of his ass and throwing it at the audience. And just everyone just runs out of the room <laughs> and, the, and the cops arrest him. And the show like lasted like, I don't know, three minutes. It was awesome. So that's this a little waste of a, that. waste of a good can like of Kendrick. soup for that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like up there with and a banana. Woodstock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So oh, there's man. also floating out there on various forms of media 
an album called Walter Sings the Hits, which is start today with Walter singing. Um, can you tell us the story behind that? Yes. So we were, uh, so we left the, the chunking sessions. I wish we had kept some, one of those tapes because I think there were some songs on that that we didn't record for start today at dawn mm -hmm. that we dropped. But I think we ended up in the time between being at chunking and starting up at Don's. I think uh, I wrote New Direction at that time. It was the last song you wrote. Yeah. Yeah. I remember so it was like, I remember you showing it to me and I, I love telling the story. I just from my perspective, you showing it to me and I was just thinking, wow, this is like the most fortuitous thing that we decided to change studios and bought a little more time because I just remember thinking even before, you know, we came up with the, uh, the sequence of the album and whatnot, that if this song hadn't made it, it was such a standout song. There were a few songs you've written along the years that did that to me, but that one was such a standout superlative song that I can't even I couldn't even imagine from then, not even knowing obviously what the, uh, what the album would be. But uh, I remember you showing that to me and just like in my, in my, you know, probably in my best Queens dialect, like, holy fucking shit, Walter. <laughs> holy shit. You fucking kidding me? It's, but, uh, uh, it, that, that song, so anyway, we got, thank you so much, that, but we got, got uh, luckily, because that's like such a, uh, it's so unique for the record and kind of, I think, showed a lot of, uh, showed a lot of growth out of our formula. Someone asked me too, and like the lyrics are sort of uh, this, um, sort of uh it's sort of a departure in, in the lyrics as well like talking about like you know being into this scene which we were all such a part of and also trying to like recognize that there's stuff out there besides our little group and people are gonna people are gonna naturally come in and and, and go out and try to like make sense of that um sort of uh you know you have all this idealism and then if someone all of a sudden everybody's like together and they're seen and we all kind of we all believe the same things and we're all everyone's doing it right and we all we're so got it and then someone goes you know what actually i kind of am into something else and we're like fuck you you're ruining it and like how do you live with that stress i mean even if you're like into it with everybody and you're right there with everyone. What if you have like a thought that shit, maybe like, you know, youth today, like I was, uh, you know, if I liked certain bands, those guys would just, I remember I had a rest in pieces cassette and Purcell famously took it out of the, 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 the cassette player and threw it in the ocean because he just didn't want me listening to rest in pieces. What a bully. <laughs> well, yeah, he's a bully. Come on, Purcell. <laughs> totally. Um, but uh, at any rate, uh, and he loves rest in pieces, but he was just really trying to fuck me up. But um, but anyway, getting back to the point of of uh, of of that song, I, I think it was like again going going back to Ian, in, in, inspired by um, Salad Days, which is uh, has a very similar uh, intro actually, because I I think it has like, it opens with that with that bass line, which uh, New Direction also. I mean, they're very different songs, but in our own little Gorilla Biscuit way, trying to deal with sort of it has that. the exact same strumming pattern, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's it's very self-referential, like Salad Days is. Like it's yeah. it's like 
uh, I don't know if they call it breaking the, the third wall or the fourth, yeah. wall, but it's like, it's very like talking about, yeah, it's the fourth wall, uh, <laughs> you know, talking about the band, like it's talking about just the scene and the band and everything. As we're in it. Right. You know, yeah. so yeah, I, th- I think that that message and at a time like that we were all still, I mean, we were interested in all kinds of different things. Obviously we were like very interested in hip hop and, uh, all, you know, all kinds of varied interests, but we were still very committed to the ideal of, of the hardcore scene and all this kind of stuff that was like so uh, powerful and, and, and obviously still resonates in, in many ways. But I, I think that the, um, going back to what we were originally talking about was, um, so since I was writing the, the, the lyrics, there was, we finished the, the music and we were supposed to go record the vocals. And, uh, and then I had a Youth Today tour going to Europe for um, We're Not In This Alone. And uh, so we had to take a break. So before we took the break, I, I just did like a one, a single pass, you know, with all the lyric sheets of, of the album. And to give kind of an idea of like how I've, I mean, I couldn't sing, but what, what I felt it should sound like. And so Siv listened to that. And, um, and then, and then they, when I, when I was away, I mean, you guys remember there was a session where Siv the, uh, Oh, we did. I mean, we did a lot of recording while, while Walter was, was gone. gone. And, uh, I mean, some of the stuff stayed from there. Like we did all, like all the backups were done during that time. And then Siv recorded the whole record with like vocals on it. And, uh, and it just, and, and, and they came out and they came out, uh, they just came, they just came out differently. You know what I mean? I mean, there was a lot, there was, I mean, Walter was, you know, super instrumental and obviously in, in just writing the lyrics and the flow of everything, kind of the whole just sort of overarching view of everything. So, um, it was sort of like, all right, it was like sort of Gorilla Biscuits trying to record and do everything without Walter there. And it was, we were pretty handicapped, um, but we were able to get down. Like, I mean, I remember, I remember calling like Armand and getting guys down to do the backups and those stuck. Um, and then, then, we, you know, and then, you know, sort of did the best we could. And then when we got back, um, and or you know, Youth Today finished their tour. Walter got back, um, went in there, and Siv redid everything with Walter there. So, Walter, did you have all the lyrics written out, and did you have the track listing planned? And how long did it take you to write the lyrics? Um, I, I don't know that I had. I wouldn't have had the track listing planned. I probably okay. knew that New Direction sounded like for a song, and that Start Today was going to be the, the kind of good one, uh, the mm-hmm. one that stood out in my mind but um I didn't know much more than that and I think with the lyrics I just I remember I would um I had a two cassette players like little boxes and I'd play the one of the album and sing into the other one (laughs) make like little cassette tapes that way and um and then I guess working at Don's and doing that kind of other other tape was was kind of magic because mm-hmm. it had such better sound quality but i i don't really i was probably still working on the lyrics but by, by the to the very end 
I mean, you know, we would come in and I think probably the stuff that, that you guys did when I was gone, it wasn't like it was bad. I think it was maybe more melodic. I think Sue really picked up on the melody maybe more. And there were, just, yeah. I'm, yeah. I think, I mean, I think it was, I mean, most of it was the same, just some of the, like, you know, just some of the dynamics and just the sort of nuances and sort of like little things of where to kind of like push them and, you know, just stuff that really kind of shaped a lot of, you know what I mean? There's just these, I mean, the lyrics were there. Everything was in time. It was all that just, uh, you know, there was just a, a different kind of, um, they, 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 it was just, I think overall, just a little like maybe flatter. I don't know. Um, you know, and part of that's just from, I think probably comes from, you know, like we're talking about like, you know, being comfortable in the familiarity with things of having like the people who you sort of like do it around and trust and yeah. all that, it kind of like, you, you feel more comfortable and a little more like forward with it. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it really melodic in the, Walter, even like when you, when you, when you first showing it to us, I remember there were a lot, cause I still remember some of the original melodies, mm -hmm. you know? And then it yeah. was like, wasn't it a conscious decision just to kind of rough it up a little bit if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not I, wrong? I think that I think it was, you're like, right. I think you're right. I think, I think just, I kind of tend to have like a, a more melodic thing. And I think Siv does too, actually. So I think Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and we recorded it that way initially because I remember like, okay, so for example, competition, <clears throat> I know the chorus was like really melodic. It was memories up because I, I took the bass line, remember? Because yeah, that yeah. bass line is just copying the melody. Yeah. I remember that. And uh, what are some, oh, Cats and Dogs. Yeah. Cats and Dogs was super melodic, I remember. So I guess I, when I came back, I, I remember thinking, we've got to rough this up a little bit somehow. It sounds too sweet. Because I think that the, 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 the melodies are kind of in the, um, in, in the, the chord progressions and just, uh, you know, I, I don't know, just that was my feeling. And it might have also been just because I wasn't there. So I didn't, I, I, I couldn't do, you know, it, it, that might have played some part in it as well. I would love to hear that, that version. But, you know, we worked really hard on getting it to where, you know, I would have an idea about something. And then, you know, Siv would kind of interpret that. And then from that interpretation, me and Don would just kind of like try to get more out of it. Or like if we liked something, you know, just kind of point that out. And so the three of us were just like a really, you know, and having fun doing it. I'm probably yeah. saving not as much as us because he was like, <laughs> he, he had to work harder. But, um, but we, you know, we were laughing and, um, and some of the lyrics on the Grill Biscuit record and, and how they're delivered and, and, the, and the, 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 the kind of mix of seriousness and, and humor, like mm -hmm. just getting that, you know, if you read it off a page, it's one thing, but if it's in the delivery, it has all that quality of, of being funny, but also being insanely sincere. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, like, like the and backups I, in uh like in the backups and things we say, how it's like three parts. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I think <laughs> you know? if I'm not perfect, I'm just Siv. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember, Walter, I read something where you're like, I couldn't sing that line, like a line like that. But for Siv, it worked. Like saying, 
like i mean not i mean obviously because his name but i'm saying like you couldn't say like like you couldn't pull that off like you were saying like uh something like mentioning your own name in a song i mean i don't think so i think i think the thing that was good about uh, i mean maybe it's more from my end but it's like me and civ were a team and and civ was like i mean it's a funny line but civ was down to do it and he did he delivered it in (laughs) such a way that it it's just cool like i i you know so i think that gave us a a a kind of um special quality of saying things that are sort of funny and sometimes like even like overly sincere Mm -hmm. but in a way that has a a couple of different levels of meaning to it and like uh, like you can kiss my ass before i read your zine yeah great yeah but it sounds super sincere like it totally but yeah if you read that on paper you'd be like what the hell is this you know well i went running and i was listening to the record and i was like these lyrics are fucking awesome and they're still awesome in 2020. And I thought that it was a long, like painstaking process to write these lyrics, but you can also tell that you had fun in the studio when you were recording. Yeah, cause I, I was going to say like, I think one of the reasons that this album resonates with so many people, I mean, there's people I know that don't like hardcore anymore. They'll still listen to this record. Like they don't give a fuck about anything else. Uh, you know, they're into all, but they still like this album. And I think the lyrics, I mean, the music is incredible too, but I think the lyrics make it, they're so universal. Like anybody can relate and there's nothing dated about them at all. Like, cause even Donkey, Kong, even Donkey Kong still exists, you know, in, uh, with like, you know, in the Nintendo switch or whatever, like my kids yeah. still play it. So like the, the themes are something that's timeless. And sometimes that doesn't happen with music and especially hardcore, but like it touches well, I mean, on the you things. know, there's also just, uh, there's like a just, I mean, if you uh, like lyrically, I mean, it's very like, uh, there's just like a real like kind of like conversational element mm-hmm. to it where it's not like this, like, you know, constructing this, trying to make this like great poem or this really like, you know, esoteric fucking piece. It's like, you kind of just, being yourself and talking i mean not me personally but you know so it's like you know as far as the relating goes it's like you know you listen to like i don't know more like sort of like storytelling kind of lyrics from maybe like the 70s or you know even like you know dylan or something and it's Mm -hmm. just like you kind of feel like yeah okay i can sort of have a conversation in in this sort of arena and so lyrically it's like i think a lot of the timeless quality just comes from that because you're you're just speaking like you're speaking the la- language that everybody speaks they don't have to really be exactly. into something to pick up on this exactly. but lyrics that also make you think like the yeah. one who dies with the most toys is the one who wins like right that stuff and, that yeah, i exactly. made me think when i was younger you know and it reminds me which a lot of times comes out of a good conversation you know good dialogue true. lyrically yeah. i hear a lot like it reminds me a lot of like um seven seconds like how Kevin yeah. Seconds wasn't afraid to write a song like Man Enough to Care. Like, yeah. you know, I love the Cro-Mags, but they're not writing Man Enough to Care. Right. You know, or something <laughs> like that. Like, that's what, that was what, I would be curious to hear actually them do something like that. But that, that's another podcast. But Me like, you too. know what I mean? Like, like, just like, it has that, yeah, that, that, there's no pretension to it. Yeah. 
I th- seven seconds were a huge influence on us. Uh, and definitely his, uh, Kevin's uh, lyrics and uh, his kind of tempo of, of uh, you know, he puts a lot of little, there's so much like uh, detailing in his lyrics that he's writing these really amazing words that, you know, over the course of a verse that's maybe like in two, 0.3 seconds long he's dropping some serious detail and 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 uh sort of wisdom within within a, a quick line i think when i getting into the gv album i think especially with with um start today just wanted to you know uh make seven take what seven seconds like if seven seconds are positive we're going to be way more positive than them like we're going to out posse the posiest <laughs> you know like people listen to the chromags and they try to make their songs heavier than the chromags as a, you know we're going to tune the guitars down lower or whatever to try to up the ante like we're gonna whatever seven seconds says whatever their optimism level is ours is going to be more optimistic <laughs> so in a lot of the reviews um that i see like they're compiled in this uh Record Aficionado, Volume yeah. 2, which we always bid at bow because this is a great resource. Dag Nasty comes up a lot, too. Sure, Were you yeah. influenced? Like, when Can I Say, I'm assuming, like, the Can I Say record especially. Oh, was yeah. Was like, a big thing for you guys, like, hearing that, like... Huge. Um, I mean, definitely the whole... Uh, that they were somehow walking the line between where it still had these feelings, the underpinnings of hardcore, but that there was all this melody in it, and... Um, you know, it was emo, but not in a kind of like, you know, sort of hippie way, you know, is more in one that you can, re- that Dagnasty kind of related, um, to minor threat and, and that kind of stuff. It, it all made sense together. So that was a big influence as well. Huge. And, yeah. uh, so, so good. But you can hear, you know, elements of music that's not even hardcore in it i think like i always wondered the 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 guitar break in competition i've always wanted to ask you this walter and now i have my chance um was that you too was that like trying to get a little (laughs) bit of edge i love you too that's not an insult but like it had that like vibe to it like of course (laughs) i remember you telling me walter when you were showing me that song for the breakdown you're like think two hearts beat as one yeah, yeah, I can yeah. totally, I can, t- and U2 is one of my all-time favorite bands. So that's I'm with you on this, Greg. Yeah, um, I'm with you on this. I, I listened to, like, I listened to uh, War and Boy recently. Those okay. records stand up. So, yeah. I mean. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think that U2 are, are um, yeah, they were, I mean, the cool thing about doing that record was that we every, are just, are kind of, vibe together is like we were just down to do whatever like we were not you know we we were confident in our kind of like hardcore you know checklist and so we could veer off and rather than do like a you know we didn't feel like every mosh part had to be like you know which which suffices for a lot you know like i like bands that that's their only mosh part but we were down to um, over the two course. sides. Two, two sides. sides. We actually, yeah. yeah. We don't even have I mean, too like, many like straight up like 
boom, boom, bop, boom, 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 bops. Yeah, you know? when we do, it's cool, and I like, I like that. How do we spell that, Lou? Yeah. Boom, boom, bop. <laughs> boom, boom, bop. It's like not a good. It's, it's in the dictionary I, next to bit of bow. I was gonna I say, was it's, right to say. To, it's right after bit of bow, <laughs> alphabetically. That's like a bit of bow and then boom, bop. It has to. It has to connote something else. Like a bit of bow is kind of like a shout out. Boom, bop. Yeah. You made a good point. Boom, bop. <laughs> <laughs> so. Boom, boom, bop. When the record, so I, I'm glad I got that off my chest because I've wanted to ask it for probably like yeah. 20, 20 years. Don't tell um, anyone. <laughs> yeah, it's, it'll be our secret. Yeah. We'll just bleep that <laughs> out. Um, so, you know, the record starts off with those iconic horns yeah. um, that, you know, we use at the beginning even of our podcast. I Javier, I wanted, I know, to talk a little bit about that. I read when we were preparing this podcast that those horns were used in a Cheech and Chong movie, Cheech and Chong still smoking, and yeah. that the two horn noises came from the original source material. And so I went on YouTube and I found the Cheech and Chong, you know, clip and then downloaded it and cut it up. And that's what we use at the beginning of our podcast to intro. So I didn't take it from start today. I took it from the other, you know, source, but where did you guys get the idea to put these horns in? Um, it was a subliminal message because we weren't really straight at you. We wanted people to smoke weed. You were still smoking. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I we, we uncovered the truth. <laughs> I, can't imagine it, I can't imagine it starting any other way, though. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's when I first heard that, I was like, what the hell? And it just really, like, you know, and then, of course, there's other stuff we'll touch on that's Off unique. to the races, I, man. Yeah. I just heard it in my head that there should be some sort of like fox, you know, like the beginning of a fox hunt, like where there's like, you know, like my mouse or something, you know, like, here I come to save the day, you know, like some sort of thing to start the album off. And I'm, I'm not sure if I knew like another album directly that it was a ripoff of, but I bought, um, I was looking for that sound and so I just bought a, um, a sound effects record. And, I thought uh, Dylan found it for some reason. Uh, I, I don't know, but I, I got, got this sound effects record. Um, and uh, and there's a, a you know, bunch of just different things. And two of them, there's two sort of uh, fox hunts on this record. And it's not even like, I think it's a pretty like uh, established record for that time and uh, sound effects records. And I think there's like two different kind of uh fanfare intros and that's just slightly the better one and um funny like recently like not recently but within the last like five years or something like my wife has uh still smoking on dvd so i was just thinking is this movie any good a cheech and chong used to crack me up when i was little what is uh, what's that about are they good so I'm watching the Cheech and Chong movie and then the Gorilla Biscuit intro comes on and I'm just like, where the fuck is that coming from? And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately get into this mode of like, shit, am I late for state? What's going on? <laughs> it's like a, a, a Pavlovian uh, response. <laughs> it goes on and I'm not like near the stage. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I didn't know about the Cheech and Chong thing back then. Oh my God. 
Okay. So um, then, oh, oh, go on. ahead, Hop. Before we get too far, and I might have to edit this back, but we talked about competition and how's the, there's the part in there. Um, and that's the song with the whistling in yes. the middle, right? So where did, who did the whistling on the recording? I did the whistling. Mm-hmm. And how did you have the idea? You're like, ah, you know what? There's this part and like, it's like, I need to put this YouTube part in, but then I also want to put whistling because there's, that doesn't really fall in line with a lot of other hardcore records, you know? That's <laughs> bad when you say it like that. No, it's no. fucking awesome because- yeah, There's only two okay, songs so, I know with a whistle in it. And, and, and it, the other came after you. It was a Ween have on their album, Pure Guava. They have, don't get too close to my fantasy has an entire whistling solo. And I sort of wonder if- they, and Guns N' Roses came, Guns N' Roses hey, did it with um That's Patience. right. Yeah. That's right. Um I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, at that the cool thing the Beatles about, did it. At the end of Minor go. Threat. Now I know was, four. Yeah. I don't know, I think oh, yeah, so, Minor Threat had it too, didn't they? Did they? So it's probably maybe from them then. I don't know. Like after I, it follows. Just like a a cool improv, you know, like I think the the record has probably like over the course of the record, there's like a bunch of just like little funny sort of details. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine this record without the fanfare, without the whistle, you know, th there's things that make those songs special and kind of set them apart. And it's not just, you know, boring hardcore songs. It's like, I, 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 I literally just can't imagine without those little details. Yeah, I mean, everybody, yeah. so cool. Like everybody, we were all just had that kind of spirit that we, um, you know, hardcore has such a, um, and I think in a good way, especially coming from, uh, you know, the kind of Ray of Today, Purcell school of like, this is hardcore, you like this, you don't like that. This is, this makes the cut that does not like sort of aficionado look at it having that background and then, so knowing how to hit those marks, but then um, allowing yourself to um, do things that are outside of that while you have it, you know, the, the, the basic machinery of it like together. And then you just do, if you do some one little funny thing off of it, like that really takes it to another place. And I, th I think that, you know, our crew just had had a, no, everyone was like up for that kind of thing. And we, you know, when I like Arthur's bass playing, like if you listen to Arthur's, if you solo his track on the, on the whole record, there's a party going on, mm -hmm. right? There. It's just like the whole, he's singing the entire record. Like, and it was like, everyone felt that, and, and you know, same with Luke, like I, I just feel like, <clears throat> Everybody is giving such a, a, a unique lyrical performance that is kind of has this sort of um, uh, joy, joy yeah. feeling a lot of the time. And and but, you know, there's a range of emotion. But um, but I think it's those kind of like uh, that willingness to. Um, you know, some, just give into that, that, that kind of bring it. Yeah. Everybody yeah. kind of brought in themselves too. You know, it's not yeah. just, you know, everyone's like on a team kind of thing, but you don't have to like, there's no dress code kind of thing. It's not like you have to totally 100% subscribe to everything. You're allowed to kind of bring in the different things of like, kind of like who you are outside of, you know, the world of 
hardcore or whatever, mm -hmm. which, you know, kind of just, I think, makes it a little more, you know, just gives it all those different kind of like little pockets and stuff and all the little different details and things that you're talking about, you know, because it's not, not sort of like, you're sort of like looking at, looking at something you want to do, but not exclusively, you know, because it's not like, why can't you include all these other things, you know? That Absolutely. Are, that are imagine, of, imagine like if you sort didn't of take those risks. Things. Well, I remember, right, you know, I, I remember Walter that. came in with the songs, the structures, the arrangements. They were there. They were set. You brought those to us. But I remember regarding the performance, you just kind of wasn't laissez-faire, but you just kind of said, OK, go with it. And uh, I mean, you know, so you, yeah, that's absolutely true. You let us really kind of inject the things that that we were that we all like that weren't, you know, part of the hardcore orthodoxy into it. Um, you know, and uh, I think I think that in the end that that was really a good recipe because, you know, it's just that kind of eclecticism of taste comes through with this record that's, you know, it's a hardcore record, and, you know, not not in the in in the, you know, classic checklist of a New York hardcore band. But uh, I think that's its did. strength. I think that's its strength. Yeah just a lot of flexibility within it. You know what I mean? So in, in whatever, I mean, it's, I mean, kind of, I mean, look at the way we still play and do stuff. I mean, it's pretty like, you know, it's like, okay, it's, you know, well, we got this kind of setup, so we'll do it this way. There's not like, there's, it's not, it's not quite so rigid in sort of like we didn't the take compositions or what we have to do. We didn't take like, us, yeah. I don't think we took ourselves so seriously, obviously. So that's, when you're in a band called yeah. Gorilla Biscuits, it kind of, you know, yeah. takes off some of that pressure about taking <laughs> mm -hmm. seriously. But but that's the that's the the rub of it. And I think um, we were also very uh, not only I think when we were making that record, were we like in a in a good place, you know, in in just like you know me me and Siv lived together at that time, and um, you know we were all just like really tight. At, as friends and our whole kind of scene was like clicking there'd be a good show every weekend and um we would uh we were not just you know like it wasn't just us we were also like learning from all of our peers so we were taking in the variety like the heaviness of uh you know of some of these bands you know we were just so inspired by like our peers, like our, our, our friends and like, and uh, people at CB's that were like coming up that were good. You know what I mean? There were so yeah. many good bands and it, and like every few months you'd be like, oh, there's this new band called Breakdown. You got to check them out and be like, fuck, you know, we got to step up our game, you know, or like, you know, just demos would come out like altercation, fuck, these guys are so hard. What the hell? We got to like step up our game. You know what I mean? So we were, fans of all that stuff and you know being close to youth of today um who were definitely such an influence on on you know to me like ray really is such a great songwriter <clears throat> and just how they put together youth today and 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 we were all just so into it um you know that proximity we we definitely i think that that all of those bands are also kind of channeled through what we were doing like the all, being part of such a, a a really great group of just bands 
you know, like we weren't necessarily the, um, the leading band at that time. You know what I mean? Like you would, you'd see us like lower on the bill. Um, yeah, definitely. Like, definitely not. And that's, that actually probably helped. I think in some way that yeah. takes off a little bit of pressure. And like you said, it's like, everybody's having so much fun at that time doing it. And just, I mean, even as an adult, it's like when you're really enjoying what you're doing, it's like you, you just, I don't know, you just usually put that much more into it and you, you don't, you know, you keep kind of working on it because you're not really thinking about like, there's just no, there's no real pressure, you know? And it's like, once you take the pressure off it, you can, I think, you know, the, the opportunity that is there to like go a lot further with it. I mean, know? I think there, the, it was that, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but I mean, I just remember sick of it all at that time or um, uh, side by side. Like, I don't know, it's, it's funny, but like these bands were so goddamn good. And yeah. so I just wanted us to be that good. You know what I mean? And like, and, and um, you know, just feeling that we were trying to reach a standard, you know, obviously there was bands like the Cro-Mags or Agnostic Front or something like that, where they're sort of like in another universe, but, um, but our peers were so strong that I, I don't know if it was a pressure, but there was certainly like the song competition is like, I mean, yeah. in a way it's bullshit because like I wanted us to be as good as those bands or, or better. Well, I remember, yeah. I remember when we were doing that, when we left and went on that, uh, that, that summer tour in 89 when before the record was out i think the sick of it all record had either we had either an advanced copy of it or it had already just come out and it was just so fucking massive and like and it was like you know from from this band that's kind of like coming up around the same time like you know and you know had been listening to like the demo and then the ep and then it's like their lp and it's just like holy shit it's like everything sounds amazing it's like the whole the whole package is so good and it's just kind of like oh man like Look i want to get there now you know what i mean yeah, it's like, like it makes you want to like, step up it makes you want yeah. you know and then totally. look at us we're hopeless dude <laughs> like <laughs> look at our squad like we're, that's the way i said like me and arthur and you and like i mean Sid was cool you know but he was like our one guy <laughs> I was actually I was gonna ask um you know we had people asking and we touched on him a little bit in the seven inch uh episode but can we talk about like and the influence of and the presence of Alex Brown I mean what he brought to everything um because you know as a huge fan of schism and everything like he was just such a talent um, and just had such a sense of humor and just... Well, see, that's uh, what you're wrong. He was a very serious guy. He brought no humor into the band. We had to fight that energy with him. Really? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Alex is hilarious. I was going to say, I was like... <laughs> I guess that was like the worst comedic delivery on my part. Oh, that's no, Alex's that's... revenge. <laughs> uh, so but Alex was hilarious. He was also a very serious guy, but he, he was... He's funny. He had great taste. I think yeah. when... Um, I think what I really getting him in the band i mean we were friends before he joined the band but i thought that alex especially writing in schism had such a strong kind of aesthetic taste like he had such strong aesthetics and he knew hardcore but he also knew 
um, like post-punk, you knew hip hop, you knew, he was so in, in tune with what each 12 inch that was coming out. And he yeah. knew kraut rock, he was just up on all this. Encyclopedic, um, yeah. He, he was, Always he, was. He had great taste and, and a great, um, yeah, sense of aesthetics, which you can see in, in Schism, and also that he was a harsh critic, um, which yeah. you can see in, in Schism. So I thought by, in some ways, I think, and I don't know if I thought it at the time, but asking him to be in the band, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I didn't have no idea whether he could play guitar good or not. I didn't know. Um, That's, I was going to relate the story of when you told me that conversation about Alex. Oh, Oh, because I probably said I didn't even know if he could play. <laughs> That's it. I, you said, you're like, hey, you know that guy, Alex? Yeah. yeah. You know, thinking of asking him to play guitar in the band. And I was like, can he play? And he said, I don't know, but he's cool. And I, and I remember I responded, okay. It's basically having someone that really, like, if Alex thinks it's okay to, like, whistle on this track and he's signing off on that. <laughs> and he, because he, he, if he were not in the band, he'd be the first person to destroy us. <laughs> yeah. So he was kind of played that role in a way. Like we have our built-in worst. He wasn't really critical like in that way. He's always very su super, super insightful and keen, and also kind of yeah. a bit of an outlier too. Like within our scene too, a bit of an outlier too. Yeah. I mean, what a you know what a Iowa. great. Yeah, well, I mean, just what a fucking great addition to everything, and his sense of humor too. Like you know, was just just fucking ruthless you know what i mean like like yes. spot on and insane <laughs> yeah you can you, know? you can tell uh, you know and, and it's what i said i mean it's a huge but also you know, you know. He, like also just i think like you know um you know with some exception too i mean uh just like also like the warmest dude as well in a way and you know I think just with a lot of the stuff that we were doing, there wasn't really any posturing. And uh, I think that fit that, that always kind of, at least per, you know, I, well, I can say it for everybody. It always clicked in a big way, you know? He's, he's so funny, so cool, so smart and so sweet. And so had such a huge loving heart. He, he's yeah. such a great guy. Uh, and, and it's funny talking about his guitar playing, but <clears throat> when we were in uh, uh, South America, we played we had this uh run of shows down there and on the first show siv stepped off the stage and there was he thought there was more stage than there was and his his foot as he fell he it got hit on some piece of wood or something he broke his ankle like off it was terrible and, um, so he wasn't able to complete the tour and the the promoters at the time were just like you got to finish this tour because um we're gonna lose a shitload. Eh, it's a whole story, but anyway. story. <laughs> I ended up singing for the band, and Alex was the sole guitar player. And so Alex was so freaking stressed to play those shows, to, you know, to play just solo guitar, to be the only guitarist. And he was so stressed. He's like, dude, I have to go out there and fucking sing the songs to these people. They're gonna kill me. And, um, <laughs> And uh, it was so nice doing those, I think it was just three shows, but just hearing Alex as the only guitar player, he's yeah. such a cool guitar player. I really, after that, that tour, I saw his guitar playing in such, 
I mean, I, I always thought he was cool, a cool guitar player, but it, just hearing him soloed really, um, he would get stressed because I think he felt like he wasn't that great or something, but in his attention to detail and his, and his intent, intent of what he was doing, he couldn't help but be great. And it was like, yeah, I loved his guitar playing. I was like, God damn it, dude. It, and it, it it wasn't like, you know, GB, GB, but it was something else. We called it Weird Ball, but it was, it was also very cool. And, and it, was, it made me love Alex's, appreciate his guitar playing on such another level. He was great. Thank you and so yeah, much. He, I mean, he, for, dude, he was, for sharing his, as far as guitar, yeah, his guitar playing goes, man, he was by far and away his own worst critic. And a lot of it yeah. was just because, you know, Alex, I mean, Arthur's really good and Walter's really good. And he would always just be like, you know like those guys can play i just kind of like fuddle around you know what i mean i think and, it's, uh, it's summed up in and he just got this look. go on no, go and on. he just and he just you know as far as like you know in his like off time when he wasn't doing stuff with the band i mean he focused you know predominantly on on painting and his art and less on like actually playing music so it would you know he'd kind of like you know like get a little more nervous about his playing and stuff but i mean no he wasn't like like walter said i mean he's a, he's he was a he was a fantastic guitar player you know what i mean and, and a fantastic musician and you know especially within the context of the band i mean like it, it was you know i mean it, it worked perfectly no i say alex alex's view of himself is kind of summed up he just a few years ago got this guitar he got this beautiful les paul and uh, my first time seeing it, and I was like, what year? He said 76. And I remember playing it. And I was like, this guitar is just flawless. It just plays itself. He's like, yeah, and only if I could fucking play it, was what he <laughs> said. You know, and, you know, I mean, it was funny and whatnot. But I, you know, I, I remember I just used to just pep talk him all the time because it's like, you're fine, man. You're your own worst enemy. You're so in your head, you know. And I know where that is because we've all been there. I mean, you know, you, no matter what you do, you do it every day. There, there are those days where you're, you doubt yourself and then that manifests in your performance. And I just remember, you know, sitting with him and just like, Alex, just stop thinking about it. Just do it. When you do it, you're phenomenal. Yeah. And you know, when you, I start thinking about up. things, I, I trip up and you think I just picked up the instrument. Uh. <laughs> I love when he messes up too, because like when he would just kind of lose the plot of the song and you don't look over at him, he's just like, <laughs> yeah, dude, great. <laughs> You know, in the, in the, in the Alex, universe, it's like, we, you know, this song needed a break. It didn't need two guitars at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It worked out. And I, when you want to jump in, that's when it's supposed to happen, man. You know? I remember yeah. some of his personality, though. He, he quote, this is a quote. I, I don't know if I mentioned this in the last podcast, and I apologize if I'm, if I'm being repetitious, but it was a few years ago we were on tour, and Alex was just some real just strange things he had some he would occasionally just be quiet and then come up and say you know i was thinking about this and you just, and then my ears he had my undivided attention because i knew something something surreal was going to come out and he said something and i just looked at him and said alex you're you know you're you're unique you i look at you and i'm thinking about my first impression of you and i'm thinking look at this wholesome blue-eyed blonde-haired boy like you know just here he is and then right beneath the surface and he just interjects and he says why well, yeah Hieronymus Bosch painting 
And I thought to myself, I don't even know how I was, you know, going to complete it, what my metaphor would have been, but it wouldn't even just, you know, it was gone after that because that was the most perfect thing. What's that? I love that he'd given it some thought, obviously, that he'd confess himself to Hieronymus Bosch. Hieronymus Bosch. <laughs> I picked that on that. Uh, I mean, that that was just, I think that what happened after I stopped laughing, I just hugged him. I, yeah. just, I, just, I love you, man. I love you so much because that's his intelligence, though. And that's his, I mean, Alex was just hyper intelligent. I mean, I remember when he first came around, I was so intimidated by it. And I would just shut up around him. And when we started doing the reunions, I remember I just sat with him and I said, you know, I never really spoke too much back in the day because I was so afraid of misspeaking and what you would do to me, you would skewer and crucify me. Yeah. And he just laughed. He's like, no, man, I loved you. I was like, Alex, your humor was, to, it was something to be feared. His brain is so quick. Yeah. You know, all in love though everything i'm saying is an absolute love I, oh I, yeah you, i mean you can tell and, and for as a as a fan and just for the community it was a huge huge loss and i appreciate you guys talking about it. i mean my i have a son named alex and it's partly because of the guitar break in um living alive yeah i was like that's a cool name so yeah that's, he wrote that that's a that's a, fan, a phenomenal love, song yeah yeah you know yeah he he was uh he, he was I think, um, yeah, he just, he, he completed the band, you know, like, I think this seven inch is awesome. And, uh, you know, the, I, I wouldn't change a thing, but like, that's, you know, that's his butt on the cover. Start today. That's what you're looking at. You're looking at <laughs> we were, that was, that was what we were, that was what we were wondering. We were like, Midwestern apple butt that you're just like <laughs> that never it defied gravity for his whole life you know everything starts to sag on you you know because gravity takes its toll and your musculature yeah, no, kind of but that ass that ass yeah. was defiant until the very end it was up and I it was looked proud at, and, I at it for many hours over the, yeah. over the course of our friendship it's, it was something special i always envied him when he sat down all that cushioning that, that old <laughs> apple bottom <laughs> So one thing before, because I know we touched on the different um, elements of the record. And so we talked about the horns and the whistling, the harmonica. How, how quickly did you realize like, okay, we're going to put a harmonica here? Oh, I was hyped on that because um, I, was, uh, I was on a Youth Today tour. And uh, for, I guess we're not in the salon in the United States. And we just had this on this tour and, and Luke was on this tour we had this sort of like one-upping each other jackass kind of thing like just like diving off of high things uh you know uh feats of strength like uh <laughs> just super Wally, hate. did you win any feats of strength no i was um, <laughs> like so we would just you know had this like sort of uh upping the ante kind of thing until we went in uh the mid uh, i think we were in washington state and we were skateboarding and I was, I could not skate. I'm not a good skateboarder, but I just, the competition was so intense that I dropped in on this, this half pipe that was way too big for me. And I ended up breaking my ankle and I had a, a week there with this really awesome family and uh, in Washington, Walla Walla, Washington. And um, I had to stay there because my, I couldn't fly. But then when I, when I could finally fly at the airport in Walla Walla, Washington, they had um, this little book, a, a, ba a book 
within in within the book is like there was a little hole and this little kind of like um fish netting with a harmonica in it. And it said how to play har like how to play harmonica for dummies or you know something one of those kind of things like how to play blues harp. So I bought it at the airport <clears throat> because I always thought playing harmonica is cool. I mean, you, you, Mick. you know, I think of Mick Jagger playing harmonica for the, for the Rolling Stones and just I always wanted to be like, you know, uh, fade away, you know, or something like that. Like, um, oh my God, he plays two harmonicas in that because of the key change. Yes. And so um, I learned how to play blues harp. So then I just was done. And it was right when, um, when Start Today was getting recorded. So I was just dying to put it on something. And uh, that little break, I, I'm, it just wouldn't make sense for me to be like, you know, like, it just didn't feel cool. But harmonica. <laughs> I can't imagine any other way. Same no, thing. No. Because I was actually, which actually you've done it a show, if I recall. I have done it. Is, 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 is doing the, uh, the fake yeah, harmonica. That's why I'm good at it. <laughs> I'm good at faking harmonica as probably yeah. as I am at playing the actual thing, which is not good. Um, so did the book teach you actually? Like, were you like, oh, okay, this is cool. Yeah, this is useful. Did. I was amazed. That's probably like- hey, Walter, I think I had that same book and it does work. I think I had that exact same book because cause like you, I wanted to be like, like Keith Rowe from the Yardbirds or yeah, all those singers say, play, Roger Daltrey did it in, in Bob yeah. O'Reilly Live. And I got that <laughs> same book. And I remember that it opened up a whole, the whole world of, if you're playing blues harp, you gotta get it, you gotta get a harp in the key of the fifth of the note that you're playing. So if you're playing uh, in, in, um, in, in A, you gotta get an E harmonica. Where were you when I bought like five of the wrong harmonicas on Gorilla Biscuit Tours because I always lose the fucking <laughs> harmonica? <laughs> I, gotta I gotta take you guys downstairs to show you my harmonica collection in the key of like F sharp. It's insane. It's supposed to be in C sharp, isn't it? Yeah, but I have, I keep, I never get it right. So I have like as many of the ones that's the right. Well, wait, is it in the third? I don't even remember now. I haven't played harmonica in so long. I had become pretty proficient on it because I started listening to a lot of blues. So I was just like Sonny Boy Williamson, uh, James Cotton, and all those great, great harmonica players. And I had like, I had them in every key and I had gotten like pretty serious about it but now I, I haven't played one in forever i have a couple left but i don't remember it might be actually that the harmonica is supposed to be in b there <laughs> here we go here we go one here's uh hold on i, I had like a whole pile of them here's another one <laughs> another one um i've had shitloads of these things can you bust out the solo real quick yep. oh please Nice. Awesome. <laughs> so it, it's neat hearing you guys talk about you know all these different influences and this knowledge of music because gorilla biscuits like i said before you know appeals to so many different like it's influenced so many other bands that aren't that you wouldn't necessarily think like you know we know about like Fallout Boy did the uh, cover of Start Today on the Tony Hawk thing. And like, yeah. what's that like for you guys to be like, oh, this is crazy. These like guys that play arenas, like are big fans of, you know, a record I played on 30 some years ago. Awesome. 
I mean, it's, it's, that's the, I mean, we weren't thinking of that at the time. We just wanted to make a really cool record that we could play CBGBs and get people to mosh to. But um, that it ends up where, um, you know, it's, it's influenced and, and affected people. And so like our signal, which we kind of like, I, I guess I was trying to explain before, like our, the Gorilla Biscuit record and, and the band is like kind of like our collective signal of our our energy as the five people and we were just soaking up the energy of that scene that we were in which was like a wider group of people but but also very very connected to who we were and that that kind of signal still resonates now i mean i i think you know there was a lot of other cool things going on in new york at that time but um i felt like going to shows at cb's was the coolest of them like it was actually really, really like, a, like that's where I wanted to be. And, and, and we were all like, I felt like we were like, before I got into hardcore, I was into like REM or U2 or, you know, Echo and the Bunnymen and like post-punk and new wave and stuff like that. And as soon as I saw like Agnostic Front, I didn't give a shit about any of that stuff, you know, uh, you know, or the Smiths, you know, I loved, I loved all that kind of stuff. And then, and, and I think that that, energy from um from that group of people and that time you know like uh that that it still resonates is, is a is a really cool thing but i think the most the, the best thing about it for me is that it's um you know it, it it also keeps you know me me luke and and arthur and siv uh and, and our group of friends are still all tight you know what i mean and and this music uh, if anything, the, the, the actual just like biggest sort of blessing of it is that that keeps us like, you know, tight. And, the, and those relationships yeah. are, you know, as you get to our age, you recognize that that's your riches. That's like, that's what you yeah. got in this world. Are those, you can, you those can tell when you watch yeah. you yeah, guys, sure. you, can, you can, as a fan, and I said it even after we did the uh, seven inch, episode with with luke and arthur is like you can feel the love from you guys that you have for each other and uh it's sincere and it's it's like you know it's incredible to see as a fan yeah. and it makes you even more stoked on the band because sometimes you know there's bands where like uh the people hate each other and they just do it and it's just nice to see guys that are just had these long lasting relationships and it, it comes across in the music and in the live show. And I, I'm always impressed what yeah. I, from my point of view on stage, like it's not, and I think, um, you know, and Ray said, says this on stage with you today, it's like, it's not really perform a performance. Like it's like when I feel from my point of view, like, yeah, I'm playing the guitar and maybe sometimes like I'll give a little move or something like that out of enthusiasm or something. But but the, the perf that kind of feeling that we have between you know us is writ large in the audience. You know whether they're like young kids that are, are experiencing this sort of you know uh, this band that they've you know would never think they would see or whatever like that new experience. But you know if I look around the stage, it's all people that love each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like no one's. The, it's like all the people that came to the show are either really stoked or with the people that they they love like so we're surrounded by that so yeah. like 
it's almost like we're playing you kind of press play on our on on us and then just everyone is participant in this like sort of experience and you know like we have really cool seats for that yeah there was a <clears throat> i forget what it was some somebody either somebody said it or some reviewer whatever maybe it was lisk i don't even know but it was just uh i thought it was good it was like like gorilla biscuits doesn't uh they don't like play shows they throw parties and it's kind of mm -hmm. like you know yeah <laughs> girl i said you know? i said last time um you guys are the last band i've seen like that was uh, the show in awesome. uh reading uh like in, right before christmas last year and like i'm okay with that for you know if it i mean i want i don't want it to be but if that had to for whatever reason be the last set i saw yeah you know, i i can good show. it was such a fun time that was uh, a fun show our last uh yeah the last thing we played before the pestilence was uh was long <laughs> island that club that club closed down now Hey, I wanted to ask about the layout, and the layout says it was done by Dave Bat and GB. So I just want to touch base and see if there's anything you remember about putting this together, and it's just so iconic and different. Yeah. So any well, the, thoughts the on that? Ruby and blue. Yeah. The, uh, the photograph is um, I it's awesome because I like how it has this um, sort of uh, you know, kind of like. So, I don't know. There's some sort of like geometry to it that I like, you know, with, with the, 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 the legs going in all these different directions. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of cool. And also, you know, this is, when you're talking about Dag Nasty. Um, uh, I like that it was that kind of like blur photography yeah. that was kind of like real hot then. Uh, yeah. They had it in like wig out at Denko's I think had it. Yeah. So it made it kind of and gave it like a deep, kind of like intellectual vibe in some mm -hmm. way like it's a live shot we know it's blurry but we don't care uh, <laughs> and, croc and that dude crocodile dundee's in it <laughs> crocodile dundee's in it no oh, remember the, the there was that like there was the bouncer at cb's who had like the oh, right right the right Australian yeah. outback hat <laughs> That's right. oh. dennis croc croc dundee no 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 not dennis no he dennis there for just a hot minute guy. And yeah, who yeah. drew who drew the mustache man? Um, the mustache man is from it's taken from a, a Walt Disney book. Is that, it really? Yeah, that I think my brother had or I had, and um, that was like one of the early logos um, where uh, my brother just hand drew another version of it. Uh huh. And uh, and did the the first Gorilla Biscuit demo. I think my brother my brother did the uh, uh, did did the uh, illustration for it and the okay. uh, the logo with the with the the whatever the jungle kind of scene motif mm -hmm. and um, then oh sorry but I, I i that's a that's a walt disney character but actually maybe i shouldn't say that in case you know the algorithm picks up <laughs> 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 no i'm gonna have to scour the internet looking for that yeah so maybe yeah, that's the edit but mustache man is uh is uh yeah so that that's him but doesn't he have the trumpet on it that in the trumpet, maybe that was the wasn't that an addition yeah, yeah. So yeah, it had to have been. It's like the vanilla ice and under pressure. It's There's like those. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That so interview was one of my cool. favorite things. His face in that interview where he's like, I got you on this one. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> we go dead. We go dumb. 
Yeah. Like, you, dude, you sampled the Queen baseline. What, what are you not getting about this? Yeah. <laughs> so was, did you know immediately, like, when you wrote the song Start Today, like, that's going to be the name of the record? Um, I think I, I th because the song was, uh, I mean, if the song came out bad, then I would have probably had a different feeling about it. <laughs> um, but um, I felt that that song really had um, just there was. I fucking love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> there, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't that married to the idea, but it was um, it was uh, sort of the most kind of unusual song. Like I don't know if there was. Uh, a hardcore song coming from New York that kind of had all those elements, but it, it um, and and start today. I just thought was it's like a, a cool. I mean, it's immediate. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. like it, it's a call to arms, and uh, and and it's. Uh, I think it's. I think I got it from Youth Today line. I think there's like the kids will make it happen. We're about to start today. Yeah. <laughs> And so I was just, just lifting stuff from Ray, recontextualizing it, but Ray was doing the same to other people. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that it like was- Like the Boy Scouts of America, that song takes from the Boy Scouts, right? Yeah. So, hey. So, um, you as know- As long as you don't take from Disney, you're cool. Yeah, as long as that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Not when oh, I go to the they will fucking cut you. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, it was like that song was gonna come out really good and be amazing, or it would be like went too far with this one because uh, yeah. it just this kind of fun, kind of. It's, it's like the centerpiece of the record. I mean, it's, yes. it's you know first song on side two, but it's like thematically it kind of is the centerpiece. So I also wanted to ask uh, when we talked to Jordan, you know, and it's pretty well documented. This is probably the biggest seller. Um, Revelation had this and I think he said maybe Texas is the reason um, and at one point it was inside out do you guys know offhand like this has to have gone gold right like uh, it's, it's at triple platinum right now really <laughs> I have no idea because I'm, I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised because like I'm not saying I'm not saying it's not triple platinum there we go <laughs> I'm just I'm so gullible I'm believing every like oh okay cool. no, I, don't, I don't mean to 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 prey on that uh i don't know it's I, easy. I think whatever amount uh it sold um it should have sold more and we should have got paid more because i know it got bootlegged by so many people yeah uh, but it, it, it's yeah. Fact people, um it, it's uh the fact that it has the place that it has whether whatever how many records it sold is like it's great amazing. it's amazing to all of us I and mean, we yeah. just that we made this record. Obviously, we cared a lot about it. We we tried to make it the best absolute record that we could possibly make. But um, but at the time, it was just like it was another hardcore record. I mean, and and the fact that it that it, it took on a life of its own. It took on a life of its own, and that it, that people it me is meaningful in people's lives. That like our um what we did and our energy and whatever all that is, is mixed in with so many other people in this kind of special way that I think hardcore really kind of is a medium for and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and it gets in people's, into people's, uh, you know, uh, thinking um, and, uh, you know, gets into their hearts and gets into their, their heads. That that's, it's, it, you know, if music is to like make people, you know, music for me has always been a way to 
to, to feel like a part of something, even if I feel like alone in, in, in another way that I can be understood through music. And so like, we just hit the jackpot with this one because it's just, it just is so cool to have made that connection and that it, it you know, and especially that we're still all Amen. intact and, 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 still just love to play and and be a part of it i don't know that's a long answer but whatever it's okay i miss speaking of it, i miss playing so much man yeah yeah hey I'm, this uh, this layout going back to kind of what jason asked uh, my copy is so old that it, you can see the like holes from when i used to hang it on my wall and i awesome. got this i bought this copy in 1992 so i was 15 uh-huh. and just looking at these pictures and i couldn't believe like wow, this band, it's like so pro. They got like stage lights and yeah. nice guitars and all this stuff. And the bass player has this Madonna looking head mic because he can't even like <laughs> sing into a real mic. Oh and for, for so, so fucking long, I thought that Arthur had one of those like backup dancer head mics on. And then I finally figured out it was just a microphone in the background in the photo that's wow, we should get him one. Yeah, yeah. You I was going to say, when you, sing. When you play, even funnier then. Even funnier, just wear it and run around. Yeah. Let's start today. Yeah. Um, just side note, I'm wearing pajamas on that picture, in that picture. Yeah, that was a hardcore. The striped, was, the striped pants are actually pajamas? Yeah, they belong to Anthony. Anthony from Killing Time, his sister, Barbara Ann. She let, I, I wanted plaid pants and I couldn't find them anywhere. So right. like. Anthony was like a big brother. I was always at his house in, in Jackson Heights. And uh, I was like, hey, Boobs, can I borrow those pants? Yeah, you can borrow them. And I, you know, I wore them. And that That's show, incredible. interestingly enough, that, that show was in January at the, um, at the old Ritz. And it was freezing. And those were, those were pajama bottoms. And I remember yep. coming from the studio. <laughs> we were late for that gig, too. And Chris Williamson just completely berated us. But I remember thinking to myself, these pants are going to look great on stage. And I'm suffering through this New York winter to get from the studio to the Ritz to play. But that's I remember that about that. But that, that's so funny. I'm, that's great. Um, Everyone else is money. wearing, like, camo pants and cargo boots. And you show up wearing women's pajama bottoms. That's awesome. Women's pajama bottoms. Custom-made black bands. And uh, I broke the rule. I'm wearing my band's shirt. I that saw was like, that. A- you can see the circle GB on the back. And it, I- yeah. <laughs> I broke the rule. Yeah. And, and, I, right. and that when San you're a rock Francisco star, Giants you can do that. Hat. Yeah. You know where I got that San Francisco Giants hat? What was his name? Um, he died, the promoter. Uh, oh, my God. My, my name is, his name is, I'm blanking on his name now. From California. I don't want to say a promoter who didn't die his name. No, no, no. <laughs> Oh my God! It, is it the same person that was at the end of the '99 track CD? Oh uh, no, it's Doug Karen. Doug okay. Karen was a yeah. He had dead. Okay, yeah, I saw that. that but was I, his hat. I, and I paid, he had left it in somebody's car, and I took the hat because I love the city of San Francisco. And he actually asked for it back, and I had to give it back to him. I was like, <laughs> really, man? I found this in a car. It's like I want it. It's my hat. <laughs> All right, fine, take it. That was when you were in college writing essays. What's that? <laughs> I'm That's writing true. essays. Writing essays. It's a power <laughs> All right. So all of you have listened to our pod- podcast and two of you have been on our podcast before. And so you know that we talk about hot tracks. We ask everyone who played on these records to talk about their favorite songs. And Arthur and Luke, you've already done 
the hot tracks for the seven inch. So Walter, let's talk about your hot, hot track tracks. for start today. Well, no, do the seven. Let's get one from the seven inch from you too. Can we do okay. that? Can we go off brand a little bit? Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so the, my hot track for the seven getting, inch getting wild. Yeah. <laughs> I would, I, I think high hopes is such a cool song and it just like as a musical thing, it's so together and tight and just, just, I love that song, but when all said and done like big mouth just rules. I mean, the, 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 the moment, the drum solo is just everything that I love about Gorilla Biscuits. And it, it's just like that chaos. It just sounds like Gorilla Biscuits, like just having fun. And, um, and uh, the, the mosh part is so cool. And it's just, it's, um, it's funny and serious and it has um uh rabies on it it's and he's f funny as hell and yeah, i mean it above, and, he, and and serious it's just like i think we have some songs that are really cool and really drop some like interesting thoughts or whatever or like have cool um musical things but just big mouth just that song just rips it's just great yeah it's great so I guess let's we'll we'll do Agreed. the LP now, uh, the hot tracks. Um, let's say Javier, you go first. It's been a while. Oh since man, can I tell a quick story about my hot track? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So listen, two thousand. I I used to teach for Paul Mitchell. I taught people how to cut hair, and then eventually I taught people how to teach people how to cut hair. So like two thousand six or so, there's this convention of all the school owners all the like administrators, all these top teachers in the school. It's like 200 people in this fucking convention center room, serious stuff, like talking about curriculum and how to run schools and all this. And they came to me and they're like, look, to break out for lunch, we're going to ask people every day to talk about their, one of their favorite songs and talk about the lyrics and talk about what it means. And I was like, all right, I'm going to talk about Gorilla Biscuits. So Ooh. I, I went up in front of these like 200 people with like the cordless mic and I'm like wearing a tie and all this stuff. And was, was it like, a headset? No, I wish it was. We, okay. I, we did have those, but this was the cordless oh, mic. Um, I, I actually stole it from insight. And, uh, so I had to be like, look, I'm going to tell you about this song, but I'm not going to play the song because you'll all hate the music. You're all like, it was all older people and very distinguished hair people and so i was like i'm gonna tell you about the lyrics and about what it means to me but i'm not gonna actually bother you with this loud hardcore music right. and the lyrics were the song for first failure and wow. i've i've dealt with anxiety and depression for like my whole life man and so to hear someone at a young age telling me that like it's okay to feel these things and tomorrow will be better like that it still means a lot to me and that's the kind of shit that you can tell your kids you know when you give them pep talks and stuff like that so for me first failure it transcends hardcore and it actually goes into like life lessons life lessons and and parenting stuff so that's my hot track that's beautiful. Thank Damn, you. Damn, I can't yeah, top man. that. <laughs> okay, well, that's it. The interview's over, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> like, big mouth rules. <laughs> yeah, shit, that's my hot track, Come man. on, didn't you listen to the album? 
Yeah. All right. So who's good? I'll go next, I guess. You want me to go next? Yeah, go. Yeah, so, go. yeah, because I because I know I can't top it, so I may as well get it out of the way. <laughs> Mine's competition because I love that U2 guitar break and the whistle. And um, I love how it ends and the backup vocals and the bass line and the drumming and everything about it. I just love – I get so fired up when you guys play it. Um, and it's just a great song. And it has all these different, like, elements that, like I said, you wouldn't really get from your typical New York hardcore record. So, competition. Thank you. That's a good one. Awesome. Jason. Am I up? Yeah. Yo, got to say first, though, it's a hot album. Start to finish, this thing is just like epic. Yeah, like it's one, of the, it's one of the best records of all time, in my opinion. But Of any genre, uh, we always say. It's true, like, yeah. yeah. Thank you, guys. So I had a hard time, like, I had a hard time trying to pick one because there's so many songs that I could have picked. Time Flies, like our brother band. I was in a band. We toured with Time Flies. The band, which, like, I love. And then the lyrics tied back to that. The not getting any younger, getting older. It's scary. Like, that's so cool and so off the cuff but like still hits you in your heart but i gotta say new direction like mm. seeing new direction played is something i never thought i'd see and so the show in 2006 gb yeah. played richmond and like sorry i'm getting nervous it's weird but i'm looking over the balcony <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking over the balcony and there's like metal heads punk dudes super hardcore dudes and when the horns kicked in like I don't know if it makes everyone so happy. Yeah. So it's yeah, just man. like that. That's untouchable. Like, and that sets off the record, and you listen to the record start to finish. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like we don't we track. don't want to seem like fanboy, but we. It, I, I, like I said, <laughs> I I can't I can't help it. This I I don't use this term lightly, but like this record legitimately changed my life. Agreed. Um, Agreed. and it 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 I can remember where I was when I first heard it what I was feeling and it never wait. My love for it never wavered. Um, Cause like Walter said, you know, you're into some certain music and then, you know, you get into something else and that stuff may go to the wayside, but no matter what, like this never, never went that way. You know, some stuff may have. Yeah. Gosh, you guys are making me want to do this forever. <laughs> we want you to. <laughs> yeah, we want to. Now, now let's get your hot tracks before we wrap up. Yeah. Arth? Uh, well, shoot. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, you know, I don't know. You know, what's really cool too is like you guys are mentioning these songs that like we've got like such a big list of songs now that we tend to play that especially like, uh, like we've been like for a while there, we were just playing everything. And then we were starting to like cut some songs, which we were kind of like, I don't know, like, you know, just trying to like make a set that, kind of like audiences would really really appreciate everything and like a lot of the songs you guys are mentioning are songs that we we're like i don't really know like maybe we should cut those and like hearing you know like oh no that's a great song it's kind of like oh well shoot you know it's kind of like everything fits in um Backstage, i don't know like, man like lame. i don't want to play that song <laughs> yeah no no it's like never again you know what i mean it's like it's kind of cool to hear just like i don't know just these real sort of personal uh yeah you know personal stories and attachments to them um i don't know man i like uh there's i i guess i shoot like there's some songs i really really like love to play i um 
that might not be my favorite. I love playing uh, Stand Still is, uh, you know, maybe lyrically, it's not the most, um, you know, it, it, there's probably other songs on there that lyrically um, might be a little more, have a little more impact. Um, for me, I, it's just a song that like, usually, you know, it's always like a one-two punch in the beginning. And uh, it's like New Direction is first. And that song always comes second. And there's sort of a point in it where it's like, it's the first part of a set where I get to kind of like kick into like a hardcore beat. And then there's this kind of like little like ride symbol thing that I do in there. That's kind of just my own sort of like thing of, that I've come up with. And uh, so like playing wise, it's always like, it's a really like, it's just super, super, super fun to play. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I, I kind of like, I could probably pick out different things about every song that I really dig, but uh, I'm just going to go with that as my hot track. And plus, man, I, I've played a lot of fucking Donkey Kong, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but the lyrics still relate to 2020, I think, with people oh, so think, wrapped think, up in their phones and, you know. Yeah, no, 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 totally. It's just, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a little more specific lyrically about, yeah, you know, agreed. like bringing in some of these elements, um, you know, whereas, you know, you know, for instance, I'm talking about maybe, you know, start today or first failure, like you're saying, these are kind of these like, these kind of like very, uh, these very big themes that apply yeah. to everybody, you know, but um, no, I mean, that that's a song I always, always, always dig playing. All right, what do you like? I'll be really quick here, but it's a three-part answer. Uh, so uh, the bass player in me, competition. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it is what it is. It's great. You, you gave me a great song and you let me like play with it and whatnot. Um, lyrically though, Cats and Dogs. Uh, yeah. Just Very important to me, song. To me, you were, you were, you were 19 years old and you wrote what, what to me is the greatest animal rights song in the sense that it's not didactic, it's not a bludgeoning. I mean, it was so sophisticated, sophisticated coming from anybody, but from a 19 year old to just say, think about it. And to, to pose a question that we all know the answer is to me the greatest. And as having done so much activism over the years, the best way to do something is really to engage somebody. And that song, it's funny because when I started doing activism, my friend said to me, he said, you do understand that everybody that you're seeing here that does animal activism became vegetarian, vegan, and conscious of this either because of cats and dogs or propaganda. You do get that, right? And, um, you know, so there's that. But then, um, I don't know, uh, as a song, I think it's so unsung. And you mentioned it, though. Time flies. Time flies is flawless the sounds in that song and then that breakdown the way that song is i mean look i could probably do this for every track and tell you why i love it because we all so, could yeah i'm true. so i'm so indebted to the, those four guys and 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 for circumstance that that you know made me get my first job at a supermarket where walter worked and then you know the the, the whole series of events that it's ensued but um, yeah, I guess I, I would have to go, th th those are the three, those are the three, because I couldn't just pick one. It depends, you know, but if I had to actually pick one, probably cats and dogs. Cool. That song made so many nice. people vegetarian and vegan. Isn't that like amazing? Just, yeah, a song. It's crazy, but it's great. That song has changed a lot of the world. 
and that's, that's not overstating anything. That's not being self-aggrandizing because I happen to be a part of it. You know, even just just being the bass player, I didn't write any of it. And uh, but that song is that song has had such an effect in in a positive way on the world. And um, you know, it's a, it's a cause that I I believe more strongly in now than I did when I was, you know, when I was a kid. Plus now I have cats. So. Yeah, I love. I was gonna say my cats over there. My deep cuts are, are not deep cuts, but my my <laughs> my my main hot track is is a deep cut. Uh, although you know, for all the reasons you guys are saying, I, I just I really they're all it's like family. I love love them all um, for different reasons. But I I think uh, I'm gonna go with Luke too. Like I really love Stand Still because um, I just think musically it's really cool and. Um, I like how it's like right after New Direction and it's like almost like a part of New Direction, like how they're connected to each other and we always play it that way live. And so there's never anything said about it, but I think the lyrics yeah. actually are really, I'm really pr proud of them because I think it is hitting on the, um, the idea of, uh, of just how, you know, especially in today's world, I mean, you know, you know, a lot of us are parents too. We see um, how everyone's just so just sucked into this uh, void of of um, of you know whatever internet video. It's a the you know video yeah. game. I mean, maybe it's because I sucked at video games. <laughs> um, You're under arrest for saying that, apparently. <laughs> So I didn't really feel the attraction to, to them, but I, I just, you know, I saw how like I'd want to hang out and like Luke would just want to play, uh, you know, Super Pac-Man <laughs> like now and I'd be like, Jesus Christ, dude, can we just leave? And it's like, um, I think that, that that message, although, you know, of course, uh, cats and dogs, I mean, dude, I'm, we, we all should be, we're all super proud of how that, has had an effect on on people in terms of like uh just you know thinking about um you know your diet the environment and all all the kind of issues that kind of go off from there not just like okay you're a vegetarian now so that means you're a good person and just chill like you know everything is connected to the to the next thing and it's just about being you know aware but i think um uh standstill has that quality from a, a, a from a standpoint that is like um you just see it so thick right now you know what i mean and i feel yeah. you know not just be like gramps about it but because i think um obviously we're doing this podcast and we're communicating and this is like a really wonderful thing um but um in other ways there's just so much uh garbage in in uh being ingested you know it by mm -hmm. people and and uh and you know kids children that grow up like their parents have to protect them from it but eventually it's going to get them you know what i mean and and in the 80s you know when donkey kong when it was sweet little donkey kong you know <laughs> i know there's so many more distractions now and, and like i said i'm a parent and i think about this song a lot and about because you know I, I, my kids are tied to devices and tied to you know but it also goes with school now is online obviously right so everything's you know you're you're tied to a computer and a screen and and 
and even like beyond that, like not just to beat up on that, I think that's an argument that or, or a conversation that many people have, but also just that it speaks to materialism yeah. in, in a way that like the, 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 you know, advertising and all these kind of, uh, all these different content is coming at you in the mode of trying to uh, fuck with your value system to, to, to separate you from your money. You know what I mean? And, right. and, and, you're, and you're buying into, I mean, this is, you know, a way that people are trying to um, find, and you know, I was doing this through hardcore, trying to find a tribe, trying to find, um, you know, my people or the, or the way that I would represent myself in some way. But um, I think that the difference between hardcore is that um, it's, it's from a bottom up kind of way. And um, I think that, that the sort of um, materialistic, um, you know, the one who dies with the most toys is the one who wins. Like that idea is so ingrained in, in everybody that, that their value system is really warped. And um, I think that uh, that just has accelerated to such an insane degree. Mm -hmm. uh, since, you know, 1989 or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as yeah. someone who, this was a song that always resonated with me because as someone who has a low self-image hearing, like, I can't blend with the ads I see. Yeah. They're better looking than me. Like everybody can relate to that. You know? Yeah. Like I, if that's who, if that is the characteristics of a person who is like lovable or uh, successful or desirable, and I don't look like that person, I don't have access to the things that that person has. How am I going to go through life knowing that I'm like not good enough? You know what I mean? That's the idea that's being fed to you. So then I'll try to, I don't know, show me what I can buy to then have those qualities, you know? And I think that that's, we're so deep in that, you know, in our, in. Yeah. I think, as, as I, a, I think you nailed it. You know, as a parent. You nailed like, it when you're talking about uh just messing with messing with people's value systems i i agree a hundred percent you know I, I, so you know i that's that's what I, I like about that song and it's never you know i don't think that i think civ does such an amazing job of kind of contextualizing the songs you know and keeping it fun and also keep it inspiring as we were going through each of these songs and he's so masterful at kind of like doing that during the course of our set. And that's like the one song where that never happens. And, and in a way it annoys me because it would be cool to set it up, but I think it's kind of perfect that it never is. But for that reason, very, very, very long detailed reason. Uh, it is my, <laughs> that's what we're looking for though. <laughs> and especially since you can't talk about it before you play it. Now we can just, you can tell yeah. people to just listen to this podcast. Nice. Well, you guys, I'm, we're so grateful that you could take the time out of all of your days and lives to talk to us. And we could seriously nerd out on this shit for so much longer. We have more questions, but we're going to have to save it for another day. Um, I'm, I'm super happy that we could talk about this album. It is so monumental to so many people. Um, like we said, it's a personal favorite of all of ours. Mm -hmm. We call it Starter Pack Hardcore. We call it that affectionately because this is an essential album that you need to own if you're into hardcore punk. And it's essential for Revelation Records, which is why we're here talking about all this stuff anyway. So 
Um, seriously, Walter, Arthur, Luke, thank you once again for talking to us. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you. And thank hopefully you guys, we can have so much fun. We might have to bother you about other records that you played on. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, love, I love what you guys are doing. And I think um, it's so cool that, you know, Revelation is such a, uh, it's such an iconic, awesome uh, label and such a really great story with so many cool, I mean, I know that so many of them personally and, and, and uh, just have so much respect for, for all of our, our peers and label mates and, and love hearing their stories that we know and then the, and, the, and the kind of getting those aspects that we just, you know, that we're not familiar with. So I, I, re I think I, I really love what you guys are doing. So it's thank great. you so much. Thanks it means a lot. And like yeah. I said, we'll, we'll be in touch with, with all you guys, I'm sure at some point, uh, you know, cause you know, the, you know, the Rev catalog, you know, you know, when your number's coming up, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, 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 uh, like Rev 18 coming up. We have all that cool quicksand gear. Quick. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, so big bit of bow to you guys, man. Yeah, bit of bow. Bit of bow to you, dudes. What's the other one? Bum bum, but um bum. Bum bum, but um bum. No, but um bum bum. I can't remember, but we'll you guys figure out what sounds best because bit of bow is really working. Yeah. Thank you. We're gonna yeah, we'll we'll phonetically do every song, every instrument. Automatopoeia that. Wow, that was something. What was that? Was an in intense uh, conversation with Gorilla Biscuits, and it was and just like, just like the seven inch episode was just super inspiring with Arthur and Luke. Um, this episode also did not disappoint. No. Uh, you know this interview rather i mean hopefully the episode doesn't disappoint if it disappoints it's clearly our fault and not theirs because yeah. those dudes were great and hearing walter i mean it's very well known that walter is you know i, I it's weird because gorilla biscuits are a band where everybody's part is integral yeah. like so i don't want to seem like i'm undermining anyone's parts but at the same time it's walter that has the full concept and then they they He's bring the it to life He's yeah the michael glue, jordan like of hardcore yeah and Ooh. and this record, michael jordan of hardcore i'm coining damn. it yeah he is this record is just something else and to hear uh these guys talk about it um was just a killer um and you know just super inspiring like i i, I did we did the interview and then i wanted to listen to the record and it's a record i did I yeah. did. I yeah. like literally like went straight into the living room and put the record on. Yeah. And it's an album that theoretically, if I never heard it again, I could just play it in my head from yes. sure to back. <laughs> yes. um, and, you know, it's funny because I've said before, you know, in my times, I've been like, well, I don't really need to see Gorilla Biscuits again. I've seen them. They're amazing. God, I'm jealous you saw them last time. And then I realized like, no. I need to see Gorilla Biscuits yeah. again, and I will go 
every time they're in this area, once mm. shows start, um, it made me realize not to take this stuff for granted. As much as sometimes it's like, oh, it's a work night or, oh, I got to do this. Get out there and do it. Um, yeah. And especially with Gorilla Biscuits, because these dudes truly love each other. They truly love playing. And um, it comes across, I think, in this interview. So why don't we talk, because we didn't want to fanboy too much. As you'll hear during this interview, we all let our guard down a bit, and I'm fine with that. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'm a vulnerable, sensitive man. And uh, I had no problem admitting that to them, that, like, this is a special one to me. Sure. Um, there's a few albums that we're going to talk about that are like that for me, but this is, like, top tier this um, one. You know, you this mean is like, like, it, like into another ignore us. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, for, for me, it's like the judge LP, the Texas is a reason LP and this, as far as rev proper. And then I would put the into another, if I had to do like a, a five, but mm-hmm. I digress. So Javier, yo, give me your personal, you know, when you first heard this album, I know you had mentioned before uh, that it's one of the first records you ever bought with your own money. Yeah. So we moved to, Costa Mesa, California from Albuquerque, New Mexico, when I was in, I think, seventh grade. And I had already started trying to skateboard, you know, buying Thrasher, having a subscription to Thrasher, buying a Santa Cruz skateboard, all that stuff. But we lived on like a dirt road in Albuquerque and I just I couldn't do it. So moved to Costa Mesa, Orange County, just skateboarding, you know, anywhere down the street. You Anyway, I got really into skateboarding culture real quick. A1 Meets video cassette had a soundtrack that was 100% no effects. And I was like, oh, this punk shit is awesome. And, you know, I, I had heard some other like heavy music from a local cable access channel, but no effects, like it was ribbed era. So this is, I guess. It's a good album. Yeah. That's a good album, I'll say. This is what, 89, 90 at this point, somewhere around there. So I meet the local skateboarders and they're into hardcore, hardcore, hardcore punk, hardcore. So one of the dudes gives me a cassette. On one side is Operation Ivy discography. On the other side is start today and bringing it down. So those, wow. both of those albums fit on one side of a cassette tape, 40, 45 minutes at least, plus extra, you know. So I, that was maybe the first actual hardcore that I ever heard was wow. Gorilla Biscuits Start Today. And then, you know, just growing up here in Southern California, close to Rev, close to these really good record stores. You know, I told the story of just walking into Noise, Noise, Noise and buying a Gorilla Biscuit 7-inch and it's the Green Marble, you know, fourth press that's was supposed to be mail order. Like, I was just like, oh, cool, green vinyl record. I didn't know that that was special at the time. These were just, you know, that's just how I took this music in. So to, to buy a Gorilla Biscuits record with my own money and its first press embossed letters to buy a Gorilla Biscuits record that's green vinyl, you know, to be able to buy the shirts coming directly from Rev to the record store. And then, you know, later on in life, becoming friends with Sammy, becoming friends with 
Charlie, who now plays guitar in Gorilla Biscuits because of Alex Brown passing, um, to be friends with Porcel and, you know, then meeting Arthur and Luke through this podcast. It's like, I, I just think, and, and taking my whole family to see Gorilla Biscuits, you know, my, my wife loves Gorilla Biscuits. The kids will put my it on wife. the TV. Yeah, my wife, she likes the Gorilla Biscuits. <laughs> so it's just, it literally is fun for the whole family. And it's a crucial record that I'm happy has a place in my record collection and in my experience of growing up in hardcore yeah top that dude i can't top it can i kick it though <laughs> you can kick it jason go yes, for it because i feel i feel like <laughs> i feel like me and you like lived kind of like a similar experience because mine when i first heard this record was just um skating with friends and i didn't drive and then just kind of like going from one skate spot to another one we jumped into someone's car and they were playing the descendants who i knew but then the descendants stopped and then the horns kicked in and I was like, what the fuck is this start today? Um, it's rougher and tougher than the descendants, but still accessible. And mm -hmm. so I think that is the first hardcore band that I ever heard. Um, so I got the tape. I played it to death. Uh, tapes, the lost art, I guess. Yeah. But important still. Not um, for half. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, Javier loves I'm, I and like I'm still finding somehow finding these sealed. Like the other day, I got a sealed, uh, like Viva Hate from 1988 still, and I have a sealed. I have two sealed Rev tapes on ice, chilling until we get to those episodes. So, yeah, and and tapes were good because your friends could make them for you. Yeah, you could make them for your friends. I talk all the time about being a completist and mm -hmm. wanting those compilation tracks and maybe demo tracks or live tracks. And it's like, I made you this tape of Gorilla Biscuits, but it also has the songs from, you know, together or whatever, or that song comes on and you never heard it because you couldn't afford the fucking record maybe. And you're yeah. like, what is this? Like insincerity. And then you're like, what, what you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think that tapes were for us, for people in our generation, a good way to get into something and you could throw them, literally throw a tape across the room. It landed against your friend or whatever. And they were cheap to make and, and just a good way to trade stuff. Yeah. You talk about tape trading a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought too, sorry, Jason. Um, I was thinking when you mentioned about uh, running time, how that was an important thing with tapes because now I had CDs. I had a couple tapes. Um, when I got into music, um, I had, I, I started with cassettes and then within about a year of cassettes, I went to CD. So I didn't have many tapes, but I would make tapes because it was before CD burners and the running time was always important to know because you would know how many uh, minutes you had on the side and you know, what uh, you know, what to put. So you could put like an album, like start today and then you could put youth of today, break down the walls on one side of the tape. Yeah. So and then after that tape and I listened to it a lot and I knew the songs, but when I really got into hardcore, I got the CD and I really played that CD with the 99 tracks 
all the time. I became really obsessed with it, like played it nonstop. And then that was the first band where I realized like, I fucking love this band, but you can't see them. Yeah. That's, that's a a, a good point is like, yeah. it's, it's almost, I think hard for people who, uh, you know, got into this maybe post 2005, yeah. 2006 to know that there was a point where you got into this stuff and you never thought you would see judge. Yeah. You never thought you would see gorilla biscuits. You never thought today. No, you did today. You never thought you'd see bold or, or even for me, like quicksand. Well, um, let me really, let me really date myself. This was pre-internet. So this was like, I was searching for scraps of information on these bands. And like, I was lucky to come across a zine that had a photo of Gorilla Biscuits or an interview with them. Tim McMahon did common sense zine. And that was like a, a big one that I saw and read. And um, so that's why I love this record so much. It's got so many, we talked about it with Jordan. It's got so many layers and people were like, Oh, you know that, you know, Walter, there's a demo version where Walter sings on it or like there's the demo with Siv singing on it. And it's just like, this record that keeps on giving is the way yeah. I look at it. It was a and really it, thought out thing. Well, yeah. I, I totally thought that when we asked Walter about the track listing and the order that he was going to say, Oh yeah, I had it planned like start to finish. I knew where the harmonica was going to go. I knew where the trumpets were going to go. I spent months writing the lyrics to make sure I had like the right, you know, feel with the fun and energy, but strength of the record. But it's just a awesome record by like, someone that makes magic on a regular basis i mean he 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 really he really does but like we've talked about in um the interviews everybody brought their a game oh yeah yeah everybody's Um, important and i mean especially after arthur or and walter mentioned arthur's bass i have a whole new appreciation for the bass sorry for the bass playing and for the drumming um just it's so tight and like you know, Walter used the phrase, he said, I've mentioned it already a couple of times, but Arthur's bass, he, Arthur sings throughout that whole album. It just has yeah, he does. incredible bass parts. So my story with Start Today, it's weird because I got into Gorilla Biscuits from the seven inch. Okay. Not, not because I got it in real time and I was around because I'm actually younger than both of you guys, which I like to mention every time. Um, yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Greg. Tom flies, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I I got the, you know, I'd heard the name Gorilla Biz. You know, you just hear it when you're getting into punk. And I was into Discord and uh, SST, like that kind of stuff. And then somehow Gorilla Biscuits came on my radar and I bought the CD version of the 7-inch. And I thought it was really cool. Um, and then Civ came out so i bought the civ album the day it came out because i had the seven inch because i remembered someone was like hey this is basically even though it's not really this is gorilla biscuits under a new name that was like kind of how it was like marketed so i got the can't wait one minute more seven inch and i bought a t-shirt because like when you're a kid i would literally buy a shirt at the same time as the record not knowing if i was gonna like it or not yeah. like, that's a big gamble I, so do I, I, I bought the shirt yeah we know you do <laughs> <laughs> And <laughs> I bought the, the shirt at Siren Records in Doylestown. Civ shirt, Civ 7-inch. Album comes out on Atlantic Records. I buy the Civ album. That's 95. Okay. I don't hear Start Today yet at this point. 
Oh, wow. Mm. So I heard Civ set your goals first and the seven inch. And then this is summer 95, summer of 96. So I literally go a year. So I don't know, like, I think Gorilla Biscuits are cool. But at this point, I don't know just how amazing Gorilla Biscuits are because I'm not trying to take anything away from the seven inch, but it doesn't hit me on the level that the LP does. No, not um, at all. And yeah. I remember I was on, so my family didn't really go on many vacations. And it was the summer of 96. I finished freshman year and my, so I had two brothers and my aunt and uncle would kind of take turns taking one of us on a vacation with my cousin. And my cousin was, is like eight years younger than me, a girl. So we didn't have, you know, I'm, I was uh, 15 then and she was seven. So how much, so I kind of was spent a lot of time, you know, to myself, I'm a teenager and we were in Ocean City, New Jersey, and the boardwalk had this store called Tunes on the Dunes, which is no longer there. Bit of bow to that store. Um, and I bought, I was like, you know what? I'm going to get this Start Today record. I, I was like, I bought the CD. And I remember literally like getting it and having my disc man on the beach and just laying there and reading the lyrics, which, you know, you don't really do as much anymore. And it immediately just hit. And I was like, Oh, now I get why people are like fanatical about this band because this is like next level. Yeah. And you know, it's one of those things where again, if I never heard, I don't want to never hear it again. Is that right? Yeah. I don't want <laughs> to never hear it again, but if I never heard it again, I could just play it front to back in my, in my head. Um, you know, so if I'm ever like uh, incarcerated or kidnapped, yeah. Uh, America becomes like uh, Gilead from Handmaid's Tale. I can always listen to Gorilla Biscuit start today in my head. Nobody can take that away from me. Um, I'm so glad I got to see them play. Um, yeah. Like I said earlier in, in the episode, um, as much as I'll be like, oh, I mean, they only have one album, a seven inch. Like how many times do I need to see them? No, nah. I, I, yeah. I, I retract that. I would see them tons of times and it's always fun. They are actually the last live band I've seen. I know I mentioned that too. Um, and I hope they're not the last, but yeah. if somehow world gets freaking crazy, crazier than it is now, um, they're the last band I saw and that's okay. Yeah. I'm really glad that I saw them. I'm really glad they did the reunions in 2006. They did the 2005 reunion. Well, they did the 1997 reunion and I didn't know about it. Well, that was and, the rabies. That was see, and that's what people again like don't realize is a lot of this stuff. Like we had, uh, you know, the first band from that era that I saw reunite was Underdog, and that was okay. like a rare thing, and it was very small scale. Yeah. Um, and then I think you know GB, especially well, Youth of Today, and then Gorilla Biscuits. I think really kicked the door open, where I think a lot of these bands were like, oh. Uh, yeah. like, oh, like people want to see this still. Yeah. So. People love this stuff. I mean, so the 2005 CB show, I didn't make it to that. I, but that was probably like the first live stream show I watched. And I remember walking home and being like, God, I suck for not going to that show. Like yeah, I should have been at that why. fucking show. I, 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 and at that point I didn't have kids. And I think it was just like you said, getting to New York's kind of a hassle. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, dude. And uh, I love black train Jack and they opened and, 
um, I, I wish I would have went. And I heard that like they literally let everybody in. Yeah, that's the story I heard is we, my friend Alex Zavaleta bit at Bo Charm School ice cream, best fucking ice cream on the East Coast, best vegan ice cream you'll ever have, um, hands down. But he and some friends stood outside. The show was sold out. It rained all day. I'm taking his story and I'm sorry for that, Alex. But uh, long story short, Siv comes out before they start playing and waves everybody in. And that's just the type of band this is. I can exactly. believe the story. Um, we no, talked it's, about it. It's true. I've heard yeah. other people corroborate it. And, and they're just, they're, they're a band that united everyone, continues to unite everyone. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm beyond humbled and just super psyched that these guys, uh, you know, took time out of their day, mm-hmm. spoke with us. And I really hope everyone enjoyed the interview. Um, but I guess, do you have anything else? I mean, we, we, we're kind of, we're, this is like a, this is a monster. No, I think, um, I'm actually super stoked that we split it into two, yeah, two episodes. And, um, you know, for the second episode, we did talk about maybe making it a, a Patreon only episode, but, I'm glad that we went with just make it in and do a regular episode because this record does have a story to tell and it's still being told, I guess you could say. I know that sounds like weird and, and poetic, but it's like, this is one of the most important hardcore records of all time to a lot of people. So I hope people come away from this episode, entertained, educated, interested um if you heard something new in this episode like holler at us we we have a uh you can message us on instagram you could email us you can call us on our google voice number yes Um, in fact let's let's put that out there we want and we want people to call in and and we'll we are going to start adding um in you know we may be playing some of the more entertaining uh, phone calls, but if you call 949-274-9992, again, that's 949-274-9992, um, leave us a message with either your favorite rev rev release or something that you think we did that sucks or something that you think we did that's <laughs> cool or just a, a whatever, and yeah. uh, you know maybe we'll play it. But I did want to say that, like Hobbs said, we talked about making part two um, be a Patreon only because we spoke with Redacted, Redacted, and Redacted. <laughs> redacted and then joined um, by. Uh, and, um, well, no, the joined by is at the top of this episode. Oh, okay. So we're we were joined back. by Jordan. Um, and we thought, you know what, to keep it, you know, let's do, have this be a Patreon episode, but we decided no. But <laughs> – Subscribe to our Patreon because this is the kind of quality of stuff that we're going to have up there yeah. um, where normally it would be a, a Patreon thing. So hit it up. I got nothing else to add. I don't know if you guys do. No, got it. I've got a uh, bit of both the man, Walter Schreifels. I feel like he blessed us by bit of bowing us. I feel like he, he, gave, he, he legitimized us when and, he and, bit of blessed Luke, us. And Luke and Arthur. Oh um, yeah. Absolutely. Are just so cool and funny and, uh, I hope everybody enjoys this as much as I record it. Uh, yeah. As much as we enjoyed recording it. Recording. Yeah, thanks for so, listening, everybody. Part two next time. Part two next week. And uh, 
Let's do it. All right. Bit of both. See you then. Hey, everybody. This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just want to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patron members. Billy Tunnell, Nate of Head to Wall fame, Ed Goodlife, Chad Keplinger, Tim Shear, Mike the Mosher, O'Neill the Horsefucker, John Cowell, Brandon Gavell, and of course, our dude Ryan Rainbow. Thanks uh, for tuning in this week. We'll see you next time for part two of our discussion of Gorilla Biscuits Start Today.